No commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Welcome to another edition of BOA Audio Season 9, coming at you with what I think is going to be a fascinating edition of the program, as we welcome Fortean researcher Joshua Cutchen for a discussion on his new book, A Trojan Feast, The Food and Drink Offerings of Aliens, Fairies, and Sasquatch. And as I said at the end of the last program, uh, this book came to me in the mail like a week ago, and I was just absolutely riveted by the the whole idea of the book. I hadn't even sat down to read it yet, and uh, immediately rushed to get a hold of Josh uh, to get him on the show here and talk about this book, because it is really some fascinating stuff and some stuff that sort of uh, lived on the fringes of the paranormal for a very long time. And now, uh, thanks to his fine book, people can really dig into... uh, this an, an enigma of, uh, of of food and drink exchanges between aliens, fairies, and Sasquatch and the humans they encounter. So welcome to the show, Joshua. I really love the book and I uh, cannot wait to discuss it with you here on the program. I'm, I'm really quite glad to be here. Uh, I've uh, been, a, been a big fan of yours for a while and uh, it, uh, it means a lot. So thanks for having me on. Oh, dude, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure, man. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, as you may know from listening to the show, I, I enjoy talking to people who do good work. And as soon as I saw the book, I was like, this is some innovative, outside-the-box thinking to look at something that's completely uh, – it's been out there for a long time, but no one seems to have really dug into it yet. So kudos to you, man, for doing the legwork and actually uh, digging into it. Tell me a little bit about, you know, as we like to start out with the bio, the background, who is Joshua Cutchen? How did you get mixed up in all this uh, – 14 stuff in the first place. Well, first of all, kudos on uh, the name pronunciation. You nailed it. Uh, usually I get Kuchin, which is sort of uh, embarrassing. Really? Uh, so, wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I get Kuchin a lot. I don't know how people can mess that up. Um, Weird. Uh, yeah, I think I always thought it was pretty straightforward. But anyway, um, so thanks for that. Uh, I have, uh, you know, looking back on it, I've sort of had a, a varied lifestyle and the sort of things that I wound up doing. Uh, for years and years, I was on the classical musician path. Uh, I uh, play tuba and uh, got my uh, performance degree from the University of Wisconsin, um, a North Carolina native. I uh, was enjoying a lot of good success with that. Uh, I would have to say, and this this might sound big-headed-ish, but I think that by merit of the fact that I'm not really involved in the classical tuba community anymore, I can say this. I would think that at my peak, I was probably 
one of about the top 25 collegiate tuba players uh, in the country. But wow, uh, nice. when I, when I, uh, well, <laughs> I might, well, it, that sort of ended up being a little bit of a, a problem for me because I was doing so much playing and I, uh, I had started out doing so many advanced things that I was sort of uh, running before I could walk. So I got to the University of Georgia to work on my uh, performance master's and uh, ended up having some some chop problems, some face problems. Uh, And they were the sort of thing where I really had to scale back how much I was playing. Um, So I took stock of my life and tried to figure out what I wanted to do because I didn't really feel responsible to myself or to a future family. Uh, to go ahead and keep on relying on music from my sole source of income. So I uh, sort of parlayed that degree uh, into a music literature degree, which I never really had a, a true interest in becoming a music historian or anything like that. This was just a way for me to complete that degree. Um, and uh, then started to pursue a second degree in journalism. Now, the ironic thing is now that I uh, stopped uh, you know, playing the classical tuba route, I end up uh, making more money from playing tuba now doing jazz and rock stuff than I ever did doing the classical thing. Uh, as sort of a supplemental sideline of mine. Um, but uh, I pursued the journalism route with a uh, master's in journalism from the U- University of Georgia and uh, for the past three years have been employed uh, at my alma mater as a public affairs director for the School of Music. Nice. So uh, that's, a, that's a lot of non-Fortean stuff to bring <laughs> yeah. me to where we are today. <laughs> you know, growing up, I was always a monster kid. Uh, if there was a creature feature or a monster movie or anything involving aliens, I was all over it. Um, my family was really open to me reading stuff about UFOs and Sasquatch and all sorts of strange things. Um, and uh, a couple of years ago, I started listening to podcasts, and I got really involved in it. And I'd always been aware of the uh, the food taboo, as it were, in uh, in a lot of this liter- in a lot of this literature, specifically the fairy literature. Um, which was that uh, if you ate food in the fairy kingdom or if a fairy gave you food, you would be trapped in fairyland right. for the rest of your days. Um, and it was one of those things where I was just expecting someone to write a book on it or I wasn't aware that there wasn't a book on it. Because if you look at the literature, there are tons of references to this. Um, and, you know, uh, Jacques Vallée mentions it in Passport to Magonia uh, and a lot of the old fairy literature references it as well. Um but nobody did write a book on it. And then it was about uh, November of 2013 when I was reading J. Robert Alley's Raincoast Sasquatch, which is a great book. Highly recommend it. Um, but I stumbled upon a tidbit, a tidbit in there that said that anyone who took food from Bigfoot in some First Nations lore uh, was actually destined to be trapped with Bigfoot forever. And I said to myself, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's just one too many parallels for, for my sake. So I started doing some research and, and saying, look, there's, there's really a lot of stuff here to, to mine. And I can't believe no one's talked about it. And this is, you know, I don't know if I'll ever be able to write something else, but I'm going to write this because there is a whole literature here. So, yeah, uh, I did, did a bunch of research last year and, uh, started writing in April and finished it up in September, August of 2014 and been refining it since then. Approached, uh, Patrick Weege at Anomalous Books, who's been a, Wonderful gentleman to work with, a great operation, and uh, this thing's out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people can get it right now, and they should. Uh, they can also find out more about it at anomalousbooks.com. So that's the uh, that's the hub where we're sending folks tonight. Let me think about where we want to even start on this. You kind of uh, gave us sort of the setup for it. I guess what made you decide to sort of include 
what, what, I, it's a sort of an interesting trio, let's say. You get the fairies, the aliens, and the Sasquatch. They're all kind of different uh, camps, if you will. What what sort of made you... Obviously, the food is the overarching thread that connects all this, but it's like part of me, having read the book, was like, I don't know if I would have kept Sasquatch in there afterwards now that I look at it all, because it's like Sasquatch seemed like he was way off to the side of the food exchange phenomenon, let's say. But what made you sort of decide to to go this uh, this route with the trio of different phenomena? Well, you know, I've long been interested in uh, the interconnectedness of the different phenomena, all the way back to all those connections between alien lore and fairy folklore. Hmm. Um, you know, if, if, uh, if I hadn't gotten that little tidbit about uh, Sasquatch and taking food from Sasquatch and being trapped with the Sasquatch, I might well have left it off to the side, Mm. Um, but I felt like that was a significant enough connection to include it. And I just sort of let the analysis of these three different camps, uh, sort of speak for itself and come to a really organic and natural place where at the end I do sort of say, well, there are some similarities there, but Sasquatch is kind of a little bit more off to the side. Um, but I've always been interested in, uh, <laughs> not really a, a theory of everything, but I've always been interested in these little connections between these different phenomena. Because, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and, and I, I'm not discounting the fact that uh, aliens could be extraterrestrials or that Sasquatch could be a flesh and blood creature or that any of these phenomena could be purely psychological. I just am constantly fascinated by, by the little connections that uh, that that thread their way between these three apparently disparate uh, subjects. So uh, yeah, it's 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 been a really interesting and uh, and enlightening experience looking at a lot of this. I tried to I did my best to approach this from a completely objective standpoint and to let the data sort of nudge me in the direction that I that I uh, that, that 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 I should go. So hmm. yeah, we'll talk a little bit about. This is kind of key to the whole uh, story here. Uh, we've never actually done a show, as far as I can recall, on fairies uh, in and of themselves. So I guess, and and you know, as you know, because you wrote the book, um, and as a lot of the listeners know, but it's it bears sort of uh, fleshing out here on the show. It's like the the fairy, the title fairy encompasses a whole bunch of different like elementals and different, you know, all different sorts of. Uh, you know, ephemeral beings, if you will. So I guess sort of catch people up to speed on that and sort of dispel these, you know, popular notions of uh, what people might think of a fairy when they think fairies, you know, they think of like Tinkerbell or something like that. It's really quite quite different than uh, than the Disneyfication of this. Right. The, the, the term really was sort of co-opted in a lot of this Victorian art and a lot of popular culture. We hear the term fairy and we automatically write it off as something silly and fanciful and something that... Uh, <clears throat> really has no basis in reality. It's almost to a lot of people like saying dragon or unicorn. But uh, the truth of the matter is that uh, there are these uh, really rich histories of elemental beings throughout the world, and a lot of them share uh, similarities in terms of uh, the basic description or a lot of the lore. Uh, Part of that is the lore of the exchange of food. Um, Part of that is just the the stature or the certain realms that these different elementals inhabit. But... uh, in truth, uh, this uh, touchy-feely fairy that we run into in popular culture these days is quite far from what uh, what our what our ancestors used to talk about. The uh, actual fairies of, of lore could be quite sinister. 
Um, if you didn't respect them or didn't leave out the proper offerings for them uh, overnight, they could really, really uh, wreak havoc on your, your home or your, or your uh, luck or, or even your life. Hmm. They inhabited the air and the water and the rocks and the mountains and literally every, every continent where there is, uh, a, uh, you know, where there have been uh, what we would, you know, what traditionally people would call primitive people, there is a, there is a fairy tradition. And uh, they come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. I think at one point in the in the book, I mentioned I compare the uh, the elaborate taxonomy of fairies uh, to like a catalog of Pokemon, right? Because yeah. they all have these very specific these very specific traits and attributes, and you know you can't give this one fairy this thing because they'll get mad, and you can't give it that other thing because it'll get mad. You have to give it specific things in specific ways, or it will wreak specific havoc on you. So right, right. you know there are uh, the wood woes, which is the hairy wild man. Uh, which a lot of people uh, compare to Sasquatch, uh, Portuguese duendes, uh, Chinese mogwai, uh, the Minahune of Hawaii, uh, the little men of uh, Cherokee lore. Um, it, the list goes on and on, not even to mention what we're mostly familiar with, which are the Celtic and Scandinavian theories like the brownies and the hidden folk. So hmm. there's this rich tradition. And uh, if you really take a step back and look at it, uh, the the similarities between fairy lore and uh, alien lore are, are so incredibly striking. And I seriously recommend anyone uh, interested to check out Jacques Vallée's Passport to Magonia, which I believe has just been reissued. It's a wonderful, seminal work hmm. on a lot of these connections. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's remarkable, the whole the fairy thing. It, it's it's kind of one of those, like, in-crowd things in the in the esoteric world. You know what I mean? If you, if you know someone who's into this stuff, they know that the elementals are you know, a whole different thing. But if you ask them... A normal person about fairies, they're like, they just think of Tinkerbell. You know, it's kind of crazy like that. Exactly. And it's it's one of those things. I mean, there's so many aspects to Fortiana that have been, again, to use the term, co-opted by certain movements. And the New Age movement and the, the, the fantasy animated film movements have really just taken this fairy ball and run with it and changed it into something completely different than what it is. But, uh, you know, I, I've always had a really... Here's a ridiculous thing for a 30-year-old man to say. I've always had a really deep interest in fairies because it's always been this, <laughs> this weird, quirky thing that no one <laughs> – I know, right? Uh, me and my Lisa Frank uh, trapper keeper. Yeah, you set um, me up to laugh when you said No, I've always had a <laughs> – I, I know. I'm trying, I'm trying to be nice and not make you laugh too much. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I've, I've always had an interest in this because it's 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 spoken to a lot of the things that I've always found attractive, which are this idea of of things being just different, slightly behind the veil, you know? Um, and that really, I think, taps into that. And it plays into the to the alien uh, mythos as well. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. i got to warn people now, I have a little piece of cotton in my mouth while I have a cigarette, because I had mouth surgery today, so bear with me. <laughs> well, here's the key part of the story that I found interesting. Let me get that out of there, all right. Talk about this whole thing, because this is like the critical part of the whole of the book, I thought, um, is this Foisin concept. It kept coming up over and over again in the book, and I felt like it was the, it was like the biggest, like, um, I don't know, I don't want to call it like a MacGuffin, but it was like this mysterious thing that I never quite could wrap my head around, you know what I mean? It was like the thing in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction, it was like, what is this thing that... You know, so talk, I guess, define this Foison and, and, and bring people up to speed on it. I mean, if I was just going to do sort of a brief thumbnail on it, it's like somehow the idea in the folklore is that the fairies 
can take like the essence, uh, the nutritional essence or something from from food, and uh, and that's their that's their food, and and then the food is left behind for humans and it's worthless. It's got no taste or whatever. I don't understand it quite exactly, but it has no has no oomph, if you will. Yeah, it's. It's this really strange concept. It's um, very nebulous, so it's hard to kind of put your mind around. But yeah, please, please uh, enlighten me more about the poison. No, no, and, and I, I totally agree. Um, it's 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 one of these things that seems very central to it, but you, you can't really quite get any. Uh, you can't really wrestle down an answer as to exactly what poison is, short of people just saying it's the essence of food. Um, there's a Welsh term that uh, that is unpronounceable for me that I'm not going to try to say, which is a similar. <laughs> It's a, it's it's a, it's a synonym for poison, but the poison really is um, the essence or the the uh, the energy of the food, um, and you can find parallels to this in uh, Arabic lore with the jinn, who supposedly eat uh, the the energy of food as well. Um, in a lot of literature, uh, food without its poison is still consumable, but you shouldn't eat it. Um, cats who would eat uh, food without its poison would become sick, or or animals would become ill. Basically, what this is, is is it allows the fairies to take out the essence of food without uh, touching it or actually consuming it. Now, I, I have a I have a pretty uh, mean skeptical streak in 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 the honest true word of the term uh, true meaning of the word skeptic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Micah, Micah Hanks talks about big s skeptics and small s skeptics. Well, you know I'm a I'm a I'm a small s skeptic. I'm not someone who <laughs> who just writes things off. I have to admit this concept of poison sounds like a way to explain why offerings left out for fairies don't disappear. Uh-huh. You know, oh, I left the milk out. I left the milk out for the pixies, and it's still there in the morning. Well, they took its poison, so you shouldn't you shouldn't drink it. We should just pour it out. Um, but uh, again, you find this consistency across different cultures that talk about this, and uh, there are plenty of stories that say that you know there was this uh, there was this ox in the field, and uh, even though it looked okay the fairies had actually come along and disassembled the ox and taken, you know, a haunch of meat and put it back together. And you'd never know, except the cow walks with a little bit of a limp now, but the fairies took, you know, took the poison, took the essence. Hmm. Um, where this gets really fascinating for me is that um, uh, there are a lot of uh, Robert Kirk in his, his, uh, his treatise, The Secret Commonwealth, uh, mentions how the fairy folk tend to absorb foison through their uh, spongious skin, which touches on uh, some things that I go into in the book about how some people claim that uh, you know extraterrestrials actually absorb food through their skin. So it's another one of these weird parallels. Hmm. I guess that's. I guess I didn't really answer what the hell foison is, did I? <laughs> well, like I said, it's very nebulous. Is there any like scientific? connection we can make to this is because to me it's like you said the, the the skeptical part of you is like there's no the food's still the food <laughs> so mm-hmm. is there any is there any like is, is there any like anything in the world of science that maybe um has has it's hard to really come up with the right words here but has like the sort of connection to what what we could maybe apply to this voice and idea or is there a completely sort of supernatural concept as far as I can tell, it's it's pretty much supernatural. I mean, there are plenty of cultural parallels. Dia de los Muertos ceremonies in Latin America uh, often have uh, relatives of deceased loved ones taking back the offerings at the end of the night because their uh, deceased loved ones have taken the poison out of it. You look at the Irish tradition of the sin eater, uh, which has some parallels with this, the food being imbued with a certain meaning. 
Um, but as far as uh, something in a hard science uh, standpoint, it just really I, – I, I haven't been able to find anything. I hmm. think of maybe caloric value or – I just I just don't know. Um, I'm thinking of – I do think it's uh, – I, I could have sworn I heard somewhere that if you like boil vegetables, they lose their nutritional value or something like that. So maybe there's a connection <laughs> like there, but I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, what's that old saying? Uh, I'm in Georgia, and uh, we have there's a saying that uh, we don't boil our vegetables until they're ready. We boil them until they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> and you eat until you're tired, not until you're full. Um, now, uh, you know, it, it's interesting that you bring that up too, because uh, I go in later in the book into the subject of uh, fairy ointments, which some people said that fairy ointment, which allows you to see the fairies if you rub on your eyes, can actually be produced by boiling eggs in water and using the water as a sort of ointment. So I think you might definitely be onto something there hmm. with the idea of uh, with the idea of uh, boiling, sort of uh, extracting uh, something uh, from from the food. But uh, again, coming back to this, I. I can't pin down what this uh this this food essence really is. I again, I think that there's plenty of uh anecdotal and and cultural uh analogs for it. Uh I think that there's a parallel between the way that uh you know, animals should avoid or do avoid food with missing its poison and you find scavengers avoiding cattle mutilations and not, you know, eating the remains of, of mutilated cattle. Uh, but as far as uh, a hard science of answer, I just, I just, I can't. <laughs> You're right. It's this nebulous big question mark that's at the center of the whole thing. Right, right. It's hard. You can't really go to like a a scientist and be like, can you study foison? They'd like throw you out. So <laughs> that's not happening. I mean, if, it, if you really want to, if you really want to be generous, I mean, I, you could say that it perhaps is a, uh, uh, ancient uh, concept for describing caloric value mm. um, is it just spitballing that idea, uh, yeah, that's which just literally bad. came to me. Yeah, um, yeah, because they wouldn't yeah, know all. Yeah, they didn't really know all that stuff back then, I presume. So exactly. So that's the closest thing that I can think of. Interesting. All right. Well, that connects to um, kind of what I picked up from reading the book is that. Uh, you know, in all these instances of the, the fairies give these people, I guess, you know what, let's let's kind of like, I guess, sort of give people a little bit of a thumbnail, a little bit of a bring them up to speed kind of moment here. And I guess talk a little bit about the sorts of foods that have been reported exchanged in these situations. So I guess more, more often than not, it's the uh, it's the entity, for lack of a better term, giving the food to the human but uh, or offering the food to the human. Um, but I guess tell you know to detail what the various types of foods because it's it's a, it's a whole myriad of stuff which is really remarkable too. But uh, you know, like I said, catch people up to speed a little bit so they kind of know what we're talking about here. Oh no, I, I'd, I'd be glad to. Um, yeah, it's quite interesting how uh, there are these. Sometimes there are these strong correlations, and sometimes there are uh, some weaker correlations. But uh, it really depends on the entity. You know, uh, you look at uh, fairy folklore, and it's almost always. Uh, the fairies offering someone a liquid, usually a wine or a punch or an ale or bread. And, of course, logically, uh, that makes sense for that time period. Both were staples. Um, you know, water was usually less sanitary to drink than uh, than alcoholic products. And uh, bread, of course, was a staple, especially of, uh, of the lower classes. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, you, you, you take a look at that, and there's, there's, that, there's that trend – 
that's quite strong. You know, you wouldn't expect them in medieval times to for fairies to give someone a, a mango or a pomegranate. So right, right. <laughs> that makes enough <laughs> sense. Um, in alien lore, uh, it's overwhelmingly liquids. Um, liquids, liquids, liquids are, are what people uh, tend to report. Um, breaking down from that, there's a little bit of a spike uh, with contactee cases for people to receive fruits. Um, and not to say that breads and other things aren't uh, aren't aren't received as well, but uh, you know it's really interesting. Uh, abductee cases are usually liquids and are usually uh, uh, consumed under duress. Right. And contact tea cases are usually either either sweet, wonderful fruit juice or some sort of fruit, always consumed voluntary with, you know, some sort of promise that eat this and your vibrations will raise or something along those hmm. lines. And then Sasquatch, again, we've sort of addressed this a little bit about how Sasquatch has some some similarities in terms of the lore around him, but in the actual application is a little bit of an outlier. Um, tends to give uh, vegetables and raw meat. But uh, even then, uh, raw meat is less prominent on the spectrum than vegetables. Uh, one would assume if you adopt the idea that Sasquatch is a biological ape, that the reason that it isn't giving out liquid is because it can't make a cup or can't have a cup. Right. right. Um, That's why it's but, not giving uh, them bread either. You know, it's, it can't, can't be baking bread or anything like that. Right. Yeah. And, and you, you, know, you run into a couple of stories here and there where somebody extrapolates that Sasquatch is giving them bread because they stole it. But the lion's share of Sasquatch lore is either uh, is either vegetables or you know uh, or, or meat, hmm. uh, usually in the form of roots and frogs and uh, you know small mice and such things. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I've I've th- this whole subject. The subject as a whole is. Um, I feel like there's still a lot of depth that you could go into on it. Because this book is primarily about the exchange of food. So uh, entities giving witnesses food and witnesses giving entities food. And even not so much the latter, mostly just entities giving witnesses food and trying to break break apart that that question. So there are these there are these trends um, taken as a whole between the three separate categories, fairies, aliens, and Sasquatch. Uh, literally over 60% of the cases involve liquid, which I think – uh, has some implications to exactly what we're dealing with. Mm. Um, why I say why I say exactly what we're dealing with is because uh, this is not for nourishment. Maybe in some of these Sasquatch cases it is because they've abducted some girl that they want to have their you know some sort of Sasquatch baby mama. <laughs> uh, but and they just want to keep them alive. But uh, uh, you know a lot of these others are short encounters where somebody's given a liquid and told to drink it and they leave. Well, sometimes that's the entire purpose of the visit. So this is not an issue of sustenance. This is an issue of these beings giving witnesses food for some ulterior motive. And the question is, what is that ulterior motive and what role does this food have in that? Right, exactly. Well, it's interesting because uh, one of the things that stood out to me and what kind of I have next to voice in here in the notes is, um, you know, you, you in the book you sort of you have these you share these stories of the fairy food instances of uh of fairies giving food to people and stuff and then it sort of takes a, a weird little uh turn as it's kind of revealed that there are then cases where they somehow like either remember what the food really looked like or the, 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 let's just say the veil is lifted on the food for lack of a better term and it turns out it's like bark and trash and stuff like it's like not it's not it's not a cookie 
it turns out it's like, um, you know, I don't even know. It's scat. So <laughs> it's like, why? What is going on here? Why these fairies are like tricking them? It seems into eating, in, into eating something that really isn't um, a delightful treat. Yeah, you know, it's it's again this uh, curious uh, tendency for these phenomena to engage in theater and metaphor and, and deception. Um, and I do think that there's a connection between this idea of food lacking any nutritional value and fairy food being revealed to be substances of no, no nutritional value. Mm. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, if fairies take the foison out of milk and it has no nutritional value and a fairy were to give you fairy milk and the fairy milk were revealed to be twigs and bark as it is in a lot of those legends, well, twigs and bark have no nutritional value. Uh, I guess what I'm getting at, I think there's a, a slight parallel there. Um, but yeah, almost every time it's always some sort of detritus that's been cloaked with glamour or illusion to make it appear much more appealing than it is. Um, and you run into this in, uh, in a lot of, um, so there's some Scandinavian folk tales where uh, heroes are in the underworld and they see uh, frogs and worms inside of their cup, their tankard of ale. Or uh, there was actually a Welsh saint named St. Colin who visited the king of the fairies in the 7th century and uh, saw the food and said, I do not eat the leaves of a tree! <laughs> was. And, uh, you know, uh, on sort of a, a riff on that, um, witches at their witches' Sabbaths would apparently eat and eat and eat and return, uh, nonetheless hungry uh, for, all their, for all their feasting. So, again, uh, I, I like to find these threads between these different these different subjects and sort of tug on it and see what happens. Exactly. Yeah. It definitely makes you wonder what, how much, how much of these fairy experiences are like just straight up. I wouldn't say, I don't want to say hallucinations, but like, um, fabrications, uh, not of the witness, but a fabrication of the, of the intelligence, if you will, whatever, whatever is out there that's making this happen to the person. No. And, and, you know, that's, that's, uh, I, I, there are some people that this book will will appeal to very much because of the direction that uh, the information leads me, and uh, and I feel like we're really getting down to brass tacks here, Tim. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like if you take a look at a lot of altered states of consciousness and a lot of uh, things that we would straight up consider hallucinations, there are a lot of parallels between those and a lot of the things that people. Uh, report. Hmm. And I know that there are a lot of parallels that people are aware of and, you know, uh, hallucinations and uh, altered states of consciousness and fairy reports or alien reports. But even in Sasquatch lore, there's some of that there too. You know, people saying that they're they're paralyzed or in some cases saying that they receive telepathic messages from Sasquatch. You know, I won't say, I personally want Sasquatch to be a flesh and blood creature. But if I'm honest with myself, when I look at the data, I have to admit that there's some, there's some peculiar similarities there too. Um, something that, you know, uh, I know, uh, Greg Bishop has talked a lot about another gentleman that I admire very, very much in this field, um, is this concept of, you know, co-creation, how much of this is, is what, uh, is what the entity is producing and how much of this is what, you know, you bring to the experience yourself. Right. And I think that the truth is probably somewhere in between, you know, we, we grew up in this, uh, Western materialist society where everything has to be internal or external, you know, physical, or non-physical, uh, a hallucination, uh, or real objective or subjective. And I think there might be some things that are really kind of in between. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this seems to straddle the line for for sure, especially this, uh, this fairy stuff. Um, 
Now, would you say, now you looked at all these cases, so, I mean, I noticed there were some in the book that were from relatively recent times as far as uh, food exchange cases, but, I mean, is it as much of a prominent thing nowadays, or is it something that kind of um, is, you know, more sort of within the fairy lore era, if you will? What's well, most popular popularized in the fairy lore? I mean, you look at the food taboo, this idea that accepting food from an entity will trap you with them. That only explicitly comes up in fairy lore and some Sasquatch legends and in a couple of uh, – a handful of alien abductee cases and contactee cases, they're, they're told you can't eat this or you'll be trapped here with us forever or, or something like that. Um, I <laughs> – I mean, this this gets into a couple of different issues. If you're asking simply about the receiving of food or drinks or other substances, absolutely all the way up until the modern day. Um, as I was writing this book, I would listen to different podcasts, and I would hear people talking about this in other cases. And I'd go, well, oh, I need to add that. I'd like to add that. I'd like to add <laughs> yeah. like that. Because it's, yeah. <laughs> By the way, anyone who wants to write a book, just live this stuff like listen to 10 hours of it a day and you'll have half your book written just by picking up on different threads. So that's a huge <laughs> tip that I wish somebody had told me and start here on Banal of America. Um, but uh, if, if if you look at the, our, our, our foods being exchanged in, for example, alien abductee reports, absolutely all the time. Uh, we don't hear about a ton of contemporary Sasquatch abductions, um, but in the ones from the past, you know, 50 years or, or older. Yeah, it happens. Um, again, no explicit food taboos in alien lore, uh, but you've got to sort of take apart this idea of what does it mean to be trapped forever in fairyland? Does that mean you're literally trapped in a physical realm forever? Or does it mean that your life will be changed forever? Does it mean that you'll have to live with being an abductee for the rest of your life? Does it mean that you'll go insane? Does it mean that you'll commit suicide? I think all of these could be perceived as variations on the concept of, of being trapped in fairyland. Mm, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> as with everything in the field of Fortiana, you are sort of left with this massive amount of data and no idea of quite how to, how to parse it out, you know, mm. uh, c- categorization was an issue that I ran into with this book, you know, our, our ointments, part of, uh, you know, are, are they part of the, the food exchange because they're a substance that is ingested through the skin? Is that a variation on this trope? Um, you know, if an, if, a, if an alien gives you a pill and drops it into a glass of water and it changes the water into some sort of different color, is that is that considered an alien food or is it a human food that was turned alien? You know, so there are a lot of, there are a lot of really gray areas, which is part, one of the reasons that this is not a quantitative uh, analysis of this phenomena. I think the unexplained needs more quantitative analysis. Unfortunately, I can't figure out a way to do it with this. So it's a very qualitative interpretation of the data. But, yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, long, yeah. How are you supposed to? Yeah, it's it's a tough thing to really study in that way. So it's really you know what I mean. It's you really like you say in the book too. It's like the reports vary in levels of of uh, of strength. You know what I mean? Where some people just mention they ate something and they don't really even get into it. And then other people talk about the color, the taste, all this other stuff. So it's like, how can you really, really do a, a, a sort of a science, you know, I don't mean statistical or whatever sort of quality, like you said, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a huge frustration that I ran into. Is one of the worst things that I, I hated to read was they remembered eating something. <laughs> I'm just like, no, give me some sort of data. Um <laughs> 
luckily, those are few and far between. And I think uh, more importantly, and to the point, there's a difference between people remembering they ate something and they drank something. And I think that's, again, one of the clearest trends, one of the things that I can say I'm absolutely comfortable uh, with, with being a conclusion that I've made is that most of these cases of all kinds involve liquids. Um, mm. So, yeah, sorry. I, and again, pardon me if I'm getting a little rambly. Part of, part of the reason that I decided to write this book was, um, you know, I'd gotten into this subject a lot and, uh, and, and I just, I, I kept on listening to these podcasts and I really want people to talk to. So if I get over enthusiastic or I wax, <laughs> if I wax over long, please, please feel free to cut me off. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't worry about it, dude. You're doing great. You're doing great. I'm a little. I told you I'm a little off my game tonight because I had a. I said before the show started, I had a molar pulled. <laughs> like, no, I, I appreciate it. You're being a champ. Like five hours ago, so I'm a little oh, like uh, you know I'm really thrown off. But I, I'm doing. I'm 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 relatively in the zone here, so we're we're, we're all good. What I thought <laughs> was right. interesting, uh, you know, you talk about the difficulty in in the qualitative part of it all, uh, or quantitative. I get those confused all the time, but. Uh, uh, to jump to what I was going to say, I thought it was interesting you mentioned that Puerto Rico has an inordinate amount of food cases. Makes you wonder what what that's all about. Yeah, and I, I think that there is, uh, you know, if if you look at this from a psychological standpoint, I think that cultures that have a lot of uh, social gatherings and a lot of emphasis on food. Um, might be more prone to report these sort of encounters. Or if you look at it as like a nuts and bolts ET uh, sort of thing, if you're visiting a, a, a culture that is more pro- puts a great value on food, you might use food. So either way, I think that the culture of where uh, this is has, has, a, has, a, has a strong role to play. Um, Latin America in total is rife with these reports. Um, and, you know, you think about, you think about the way that um, – you know, uh, how food has become treated in Western society. I mean, so much of what we eat is fast food and we eat while we're watching TV. It's no longer really a social uh, interaction anymore. It's, 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 (laughs) we're eating more and more quote unquote delicious stuff and taking less and less time to actually, you know, enjoy it. Hmm. Um, Which uh, again, I'm just completely speculating here, but I think that might have something to do with it. As far as the, the, the spike, why this, of why this, Little Island would have such a uh, such a spike in reports. I, I'm again, I'm I'm completely at a loss. Um, of course, Puerto, Puerto Rico has a has a rich uh, Fortean tradition anyway, uh, with a lot of uh, oh, yeah. UFO reports in the past. And you know, uh, you know, I think uh, Nick Redfern's about to release a book on his trips to Puerto Rico with the Chupacabras. So. Yeah, it's got quite the history down there. It's, uh, it was just surprising that it's, it popped up again. And to speak to what you were saying here about sort of Western culture and the fast food and everything, that's kind of what I was getting at in a way when I was asking about, you know, uh, how we have a lot of these sort of fairy lore cases. You wonder about modern cases. It's like I, there wasn't any case in the book where an, where an alien or an, or an elemental being or whatever sort of like gave, offered somebody McDonald's or anything. You know what I mean? It's like the interesting <laughs> – it, it, there's no like sort of modern kind of like equivalent to what the fairy lore is talking about in that sense. Yeah, it's bizarre. You know, you look at around at Western culture and there's so much meat and so much candy. You'd think that if this was a psychological phenomenon or flights of fancy, people would say that they were receiving meat. But I can literally count on like two hands the number of cases that I could find that really in, that involved meat. Um, uh, I did find like you know I did find. Uh, couple of non-credible reports mentioning hamburgers but you know you look at you look at the things that people are getting and it's healthy foods 
Right. It's liquids. Um, it's fruits. It's breads. It's uh, it's definitely non non uh, fattening stuff, uh, which is you know fascinating to me. It really is. Yeah, yeah. It speaks to. I mean, I don't even know. I don't understand it. It's really. I, I feel like there's. We kind of danced around it because we don't want to give away too much, sort of, of like the ultimate idea of the book. But it's like it, it, the whole thing, kind <laughs> know, of, right. like, speaks to this idea of like there's so much more going on than an actual food exchange. It's not like you said before. It's not for sustenance. It's not like it's not like they're like, hey, you look like you're hungry. Here, have something. It's like they're they're up to something by making asking you to eat it. And it's almost like you wonder if there's there's some kind of other. Sort of like the black-eyed kids thing, where it's like you have to let them in the house; they can't just force their way in. I wonder if it's sort of like that, at least in the in the fairy lore thing, where it's like they they want you to eat the food or take the drink because something's going to happen to you, but they can't outright do it to you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, absolutely, and that's um, uh, a Trojan feast was not my initial uh, title. Uh, but uh, Patrick came back with the idea of a Trojan feast, which has some wonderful shades of John Keel in there, which I like as well. Hmm. Um, but I think that sort of does speak to uh, the central thesis point of of uh, of the book. And yeah, we're we're trying to dance around it. I always remember when I'm listening to podcasts, I'm like, "Damn it, just tell me what your thesis is." <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> but 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 I, I think. What it really comes down to is, you know, I, I wrestled a lot um, when I was writing this book about, you know, should I even be looking for these similarities? Because if it's like, is, is this like someone saying, I saw the entity breathe? Oh my gosh, all entities are breathing. You know? Right, or, right. You know, I saw the entity with eyes. Oh my gosh, there's a similarity. All these entities have eyes. <laughs> um, but, but where I finally landed on that was there is no reason why you should have a 30 minute encounter with any of these things and you should be given a pill. Or you should have a 30-minute encounter with any of these things, and you should be given a drink. Or even, you know, heck, I mean, what, what's the, the rule of four in, in human biology? You can last for four minutes without air, four days without water, and four weeks without food, approximately. Um, there's no reason that people should be given food and drink with such uh, consistency, or at least with such regularity. Hmm. It doesn't make any sense. They're up to something. That's kind of the point, folks. They're up to something. We don't even know. We don't know what they're up to, but... <laughs> they're using food to make it happen. Sneaky, cheeky bastards. Yeah, yeah. It's really, uh, it's really eerie. Now, I guess the most famous story in UFO lore of all this sort of idea is this uh, Joe Simington's, Simonton's pancakes. And I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd heard the story a few times, and I'm sure, like people listening, I'd, I'd bet, I'd bet more than half of the people listening have have heard the story before. But for those. For the minority of folks who haven't heard it, I guess give us a little sort of thumbnail on the on the Joe Simonton story because I'm intrigued by this because it seems like well this happened like you know relatively recently as compared to the fairy lore stuff and it's like something tells me you, you can't get those pancakes nowadays you can't even find them but they're completely gone no one even knows where they are but tell tell the story and and then I'll pepper you with some follow up questions where I where I rant. <laughs> oh, all right, sounds good. Yeah. Um... Uh, yeah, the Joe Simonton case is, is near and dear to my heart because not only is it uh, the most famous of all these interesting food cases when you mention someone getting food or drink from aliens, but uh, it uh, took place in Wisconsin, which is where I did my undergraduate work, and uh, it uh, is also the poster child that Jacques Vallée used to really underscore a lot of the similarities between 
alien uh, lore and, and fairy folklore. Mm-hmm. Um, it was April 18th, I believe, in 1961, and Joe Simonton, who was a chicken farmer from Eagle River, Wisconsin, uh, was uh, inside his house when he heard some sort of strange sound like uh, tires on wet pavement uh, coming from outside. He looked outside, and there was this silver machine that came down and landed in the yard, and it was about 30 feet wide, uh, shaped like two inverted bowls, so a pretty classic uh, flying saucer shape. Uh, and he, he took a look, and a hatch popped open and revealed three uh, dark-skinned entities that he called Italians. Uh, they had some sort of knit headwear, were about five feet tall and had dark outfits. And uh, one of them was sort of communicating uh, through pantomime. Uh, it, it held a shiny jug in the air, and Simonton took took the uh, the jug and went back inside and filled it up with water and brought it out. When he brought it out, he noticed that there was uh, one of the one of the creatures to the side was frying food on some sort of uh, griddle, and apparently these things noticed. Uh, him, him, him flipping these alien flapjacks, and uh, they offered Simonson uh, three of the pancakes. Uh, and you know, you mentioned how you can't find those anymore. Yeah, I, I haven't been able to, to to figure out what happened to them. Um, everybody, uh, everybody, really. I'm sorry, four four pancakes, uh, not three. Um, everybody seemed to think that Simonson was above reproach, and you know, he was he was. Uh, from what I can understand, he was. Uh, simple, and I don't mean that in a pejorative tense, just in terms of an honest, good old Wisconsin farmer, Midwestern guy, just right. like, why would I have any reason to make, you know, make this up? Um, and, uh, you know, he, he gave one of the pancakes to a, a local judge, uh, one to J. Allen Hynek, and uh, one to the uh, National Investigation Committee on uh, Aerial Phenomena. And he kept one for himself, and he, he took a bite of it and said it tasted like cardboard. Um which again sort of ties into this idea of alien food being detritus. It ties into this idea of alien food lacking its poison, its nutritive uh, substance. Um, something that I found really interesting, and I've mentioned this to a couple of people because it's my go-to, it's my go-to uh, tidbit that I learned that was one of the most exciting things that spurred me on to to, to continue this book, is that there's a tradition of uh, of uh, fairies in the Netherlands who uh, will visit farmers in the field. And will uh, give them pancakes and fresh water uh, whenever they're getting too tired. So it's a nice little connection there between uh, alien lore and fairy lore that I thought was really interesting. Mm. Yeah, it just makes you wonder, like I said, uh, where where all this stuff ended up in the first, like after it's all said and done. You know what I mean? What happened? I, I guess the pancake really wouldn't last theoretically all those years anyway, but yeah, but you'd think that it would be. I mean, it's being an artifact. I mean, if this was a if this was a chunk of Roswell memory metal, we'd be all over it like white on rice. Um, and yet somehow these just sort of fell fell through the cracks. Um, supposedly there was an analysis done by the, the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, and they said it was just terrestrial ingredients like hydrogenated oil and buckwheat. Um, today you'll find there are some rumors that there was an unknown mystery grain that was used, um, but... Uh, I've never found anything concrete to really back that up. Yeah. If anybody out there knows <laughs> knows of a report or some some sort of provenance that suggests that, I would be thrilled to find out about it. But uh, you know, the U.S. Air Force said that he was just making breakfast and fell asleep or something, which is a ridiculous suggestion for me. Yeah, that is a ridiculous suggestion. That's 
That's like swamp gas. That's just that, it's amazing <laughs> yeah, what they yeah, could get away cool. with back then. They just would say and people were like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that's probably true." Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. You point out in the book, it's and I thought this was I, I kind of picked up on this as I was reading too, and I was glad you mentioned it. So it's surprising you say that there aren't too many reports of uh, unearthly food. Let's say it's like if these are if these are like uh, not just the, the the aliens, but let let's face it. Uh, a fairy would, by I don't know if necessarily by definition it's an extraterrestrial, but it's certainly sort of like an an, an other. What do you got going on over there? What are you emptying the dishwasher? Oh me? Yeah. Oh, uh, I I just grabbed some ice. Sorry, I'm refilling. He's doing chores. Of, <laughs> he's doing chores in the middle know, of the show. I'm, I'm At, so disinterested. Sorry about that. It's that all was, right. That was rather rude. It's, no, um, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I've had worse. Uh, <laughs> so. All right. We oh oh yeah. So it's like the the fairies and stuff. They're, they're as elemental beings and 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 whatnot. It's like theoretically they would have different kind of like compositions. They would eat different kind of foods. But it's like especially with the ETs as well. But but they eat in these stories. If we're to believe how they all go down, they eat normal human food. It's like that doesn't make any sense. It seems like it, it's paradoxical in a way. Well, I mean, it's it's sort of this paradox that, that we've always run into with our interactions with the other. Every one of these things is anthropomorphic. It's human-like. You know, you run into a gray alien and it has eyes and a nose and a mouth. And, you know, um, there's not really, as, as alien as aliens are supposed to be, by and large, they don't appear that alien. And you'd think that there would be some difference in biology between, maybe not Sasquatch again, uh, the outlier, that whole anthropoid ape idea. Hmm. But... Uh, but uh, you'd think that aliens or even fairies would have some sort of different uh, different culinary art at the very least. But people are receiving foods that have a very direct analog. You know, people aren't saying, wow, I got this sort of weird indescribable thing. I mean, granted, there are some cases like that where people are like, they gave me this weird orange sphere that was glowing and it tasted like a, you know, tasted like something, but I don't know what it was. Right. Um, but for the most part, people are saying, hey, they gave me a giant strawberry. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, or hey, they gave me something that tasted like cough syrup. Like they're very, uh, very, very clear comparisons to be made between earthly food and this. And again, you th- you've got to think about, uh, you know, I-, I mentioned how alien abductions uh, usually involve substances consumed under duress. Uh, you'd think that if you, you know, if you can do all this stuff, if you can paralyze folks and enter their minds and uh, abduct them uh, from their bedrooms at night and no one notice and all these things, that would they really have to resort to giving somebody a pill? Yeah. (laughs) Injections maybe make sense if you're a really hardline ETH guy. Injections make sense. But, you know, there's no reason that an alien would say, you know, here's here's a, you know, a pint of of yellow liquid, you've got to drink it. You know, you think that there will be other means of, of doing this. So, does that, to me, that seems to indicate, it seems to point to the idea that the pageantry is the point. Mm. The pageantry of this, this this particular interaction is is the reason why it's happening. Yeah, exactly. It goes back to the whole idea of like they don't these people they don't really need the food for the most part, you know, in these situations. Right. It's very uh, it's very perplexing. I'm really glad you wrote the book though, because it's an interesting sort of avenue to go down and look at, because. Like I said, it's sort of it's been there forever, but it's been existing on the peripheral of uh, of the paranormal for so long that 
I don't think anyone clearly, no one ever really took the time to sort of like compile it all together in one in one shot. Yeah, I I, I had uh, reached out when I was sort of feeling out this idea because I I had no idea that I could I could do this. You know, I was sort of like, oh, write a book? Are you kidding me? That's a lot of work, and you know, so many people are are having to self-publish or even not be published at all, and this and that. You know, sort of being my own my own worst enemy. But I reached out to Micah Hanks because I have a I feel like I have a sort of connection with Micah and that we're both North Carolinians and, uh, uh, you know, we both, uh, were raised in the Episcopal church and we both have just like, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of, of similarities between our lives, we're both musicians. Um, and I mentioned this and he was really enthusiastic about, uh, there being enough material there. And, uh, you know, I, I was talking to him and I said, has anybody really done this? And, you know, he said, no, you know, there have been people who have mentioned the similarity in chapters, or the similarity of the food taboo or being given food in passing, but no one has ever dedicated, you know, made a book and, uh, you know, uh, done a survey of this literature and, uh, and tried to make some sense of why it's happening like this. So I feel very, very blessed to have had this opportunity. And, uh, I huge thanks to Micah, huge thanks to uh, red pill junkie. And, uh, like I said, mentioned earlier, Patrick Weege and, and folks like yourself who were part of the inspiration for this in the first place. Nice. Well, I really had nothing to do with it, but I'll I'll take credit. <laughs> My pleasure, Joshua. Red Pill Junkie's in the chat room, so I'm sure he'll be uh, he'll be doing some some backflips in a moment. Now, talk about um, absorption theory. Was this is this your theory, absorption theory, or is this are you sort of just kind of like putting a name to the idea here? Because uh, cause, um, I mean I I, I I've kind of heard the idea. I I guess like, let's just get into it. Talk about absorption theory. Sorry, man. Okay. <laughs> No, 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 that, that that's fine. Um, yeah, I guess, okay, so it's my first book, so I might as well start making enemies. Um, <laughs> Good start, David yeah. Jacobs claimed, yeah, <laughs> David Jacobs claimed uh, in uh, his 1998 book, Threat, that the absorption theory was kind of, uh, well, he didn't directly claim that it was his, his, his pet theory. Um, he's the one who coined the term the absorption theory. Okay, so um, I was kind of wondering because I was like, but he, yeah, because I was like, did I, did I miss this somewhere? That's why I was asking if you, I wasn't trying to put you on the spot by saying like, oh, did you yeah. make it up? It was just kind of like you reference it, and I was like, where, where the hell, how, how did I miss this absorption theory all these years? So now I know why because I, you know, David Jacobs. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. The, the reason <laughs> that it came to my attention in the first place was there was this uh, November 2005 uh, editorial in Magonia by Martin Kottmeyer. Um, who mentioned uh, sort of who was sort of taking issue with the fact that David Jacobs said we now know that the aliens obtain fuel differently from humans. Oh you know, yes, I was, saw was, that part of the book. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he so he was really picking that statement apart, saying we now know and we now know. You know, taking apart those two parts, <laughs> those two aspects, like as if we can know anything about this. Right, sure. I had a real problem with that you too. Know? Yeah, actually. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, my whenever somebody talks with certainty about what they know or about what they are sure is happening or going on with any of this stuff, my bullshit needle like buries into the red, like right. it just explodes. Right. Um, but that aside, um, even if, even suggesting that it was a relatively new idea in 1998, it's just, it's, it's far fetched because there's been plenty of anecdotal evidence for this idea. So the idea of the absorption theory, now that we're finally getting to what <laughs> the original question <laughs> is the idea that, uh, uh, is the idea that extraterrestrials, if we accept the uh, biological extraterrestrial hypothesis, um, actually don't consume food in the way that humans do. Uh, the idea is that they actually absorb it 
through the skin in some form or fashion. And this is pointed to, you know, there's there's plenty of anecdotal evidence for that conclusion. Uh, small slit-like mouths, the uh, apparent lack of an anus or genitalia in a lot of these cases. Um, but uh, the idea has been around for a, quite a long time. I, I go into the book about you know, a lot of the things that people have said, but, you know, you look at even, I mean, prior to uh, prior to what uh, David Jacobs said um, in uh, John Mack's, uh, let me make sure I get this date right, in John Mack's, um, oh, not Passport to the, Con- not Passport to the Con- Cosmos. Um, uh, it's all right. The other one. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um, mentioned some of his abductees seeing, uh, you know, alien fetuses being sponged with a green liquid. Um, Phil Corso's book, The Day After Roswell, um, mentions a, a similar interaction. If, say what you want to about that book. The idea was out there that right, these right. aliens absorb stuff through their skin. Even the the Krill report um, from back in 1988. Uh, mentioned it as well. So this idea has been around for a while. And uh, the reason that it's really important and germane to our discussion, because again, this book isn't about what aliens eat or what Sasquatch eat. It's about the exchange. So how does this have any bearing on the exchange? Well, um, if these entities are eating through their skin in the case of aliens today, why do they have these other foods on hand? You know, why do they have liquids that are to be uh, consumed uh, orally? Why do they have bread? Why do they have fruit? Why, why, why are there any of these very terrestrial things on hand if it's not, you know, part of their supply? Mm. It has to be for us, and uh, it has to be. So either you accept the idea that they're, you know, they have a, a container of of dog treats or something for us, the equivalent of of dog treats, um, or again, this isn't this is not what it seems. So. Mm. That's sort of a sort of a little riff on the whole idea, and, and this idea of the absorption theory again ties into Foison, which, as I mentioned, uh, Robert Kirk said that uh, fairies tended to absorb the Foison at a distance through their skin, which was very spongious. So. Mm. Foison. I want some of that Foison, man. <laughs> I know. I know. Every time, every time I, every time I say Foison, I feel like it's, uh, you know, it's uh, one of the three stooges, Poison. Oh, give me some poison. <laughs> well, someone in the chat room was like, what the hell are they talking about? What is this, poison? How do you spell that? So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, um, it's a very weird and, 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 and to that, Sorry, well, and to that point, in case anybody runs across it, yes, I'm very well aware that there are some, uh, there are some accounts of fairies eating pure, meat, uh, pure water and raw meat, but uh, you look at a lot of the other literature, by Briggs and Evans Wentz and, and some of those other folks, and, and they all point to this voice and concept. So that's, that's what I what I mainly focused on. For the yeah, book. seems like it's been around for a while. So, um, well, it's very uh, yeah, it's interesting stuff. Let me take a look at my notes here. What I had on here, um, I felt bad. I laughed at the Ted Rice story where he was. Uh... Oh man, that has to be the most uncomfortable thing that I've ever put on paper. Man. Tell tell just tell people about this story because oh, do I have to too? Okay, no, all right, I, I'll, I'll I'll exempt you. I'll I'll share part of the story. Somehow he's like has a dream where he's like with his grandmother or something, and his dead grandfather yeah. comes and has sex with his grandmother right in front of him, and then the grandfather turns into a reptile, and then he has to have sex with the 
reptile, and then a whole <laughs> yeah, bunch of reptiles rape awful. him. I'm sorry, but it was just hilarious yeah. to me. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, was, I have gallows it, humor, I guess. But I was just like, dude, what is no, wrong with you? Oh, yeah, man. it's 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 one of those things where you 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 read it, and it's just it's just this this perfect marriage of one of the most horrifying things, if if it's if it's true. And some of the most absurd things you've ever read, and it's just it's just a super uncomfortable story. But yeah, you got you got the uh, you got to the gist of it. Yeah, um, and that sort of ties in again. And the reason that that's in the book is because you know you can't talk about any of this stuff, even Sasquatch, without getting embroiled in this whole sexuality issue, right? Um, right which right. seems to crop itself up time and again. Yeah, Stephanie Quitch, actually, she sent me an email uh, mentioning that about your appearance tonight. Uh, Stephanie Quick. And she said uh, she finds it interesting that uh, as a student of anthropology, she's been struck by the two constant exchanges in entity encounters over the centuries, exchanges of food and sex. So it is they, – they do kind of go hand in hand in a way. And you cover it in the book. Yeah, I mean there's – yeah, uh, one interesting little um, line of, uh, of inquiry that I think could be particularly uh, fruitful in the future is that there was a uh, – <clears throat> a uh, peer-reviewed article published in a 1996 edition of Psychological Inquiry where uh, some psychologists actually thought that the expression of uh, giving, being forced to eat something or being forced to have something rubbed on the mouth or something in these alien abduction reports was actually a manifestation of uh, oral humiliation sadomasochistic fantasies. Hmm. So, yeah. And you look at, I mean, you look at, you look at a lot of, you know, uh, f- food and sex are essential to survival. One essential to the survival of the individual, and one essential to the survival of the species. They're both urges that everyone has, and you know, they, they're um, they're both. Uh, you know, you look at a lot of the language that we use about our lovers. I want to eat you up. I could just devour you. You know, there's there's a lot of connections there. Hmm. Um. Let me see. Or, 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 or as in a, you, have you seen Superbad? Yeah. The movie Superbad? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember um, Jonah Hill's character says all the good foods t- are shaped like dicks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, talking about, he's talking about hot dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. There's this connection, yeah. So. Now, we sort of talked about the food that, the, that these fairies and other uh, beings like, but uh, I thought it was interesting, too. You picked up an interesting sort of uh, exception to the rule, if you will, and that was salt. Salt being sort of used and coming up over and over again as sort of the uh, the kryptonite of sorts uh, against these entities. Yeah, that's that's a really great way to put it. Um, yeah, uh, salt is pretty rare in a lot of these encounters. Um, I think that you could absolutely just write a book on the, the you know the presence of salt in a lot of these uh, in in its relationship to uh, to the paranormal. Um, one of the most uh, commonly heard things is that salt uh, would help to uh, would help fend off the fairies, and a lot of people have speculated. Well, maybe this means that you know, since salt prevents decay, um, maybe it means that it somehow prevents you know the fairies who have long been associated with the dead from being able to to to, to approach you, or you know, maybe it has something to do with the fact that uh, in and uh, you know, in in the painting of the Last Supper, Judas has knocked over the salt on the table. You know, people have, have speculated as to exactly why this is, but uh, but 
in, in, in any case, uh, a lot of cultures have felt that salt is really important to, to keeping away the fairies. And uh, you don't find it, accordingly, you don't find it in a lot of these entity food reports. Hmm. Um, a few of the ones that I did find were, you know, had some pretty good evidence against them as being, uh, as being uh, hoaxes or as being, you know, uh, mistaken lucid dreams or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, it's 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 really interesting. Uh, there there there's you know tales of there's one tale of a of a Celtic prince whose lover is uh, taken away to fairyland, and every night he goes and tries to dig his way to fairyland, and he comes back the next day, and and the uh, the, the his his work has been completely reversed until he finally has the smart idea of putting down a ring of salt and digging in the ring of salt, and the fairies can't actually cross over the ring of salt to reverse his work. So. <laughs> Ah, what was I going to ask you just now? I lost my train of thought here on this one. Um, yeah, Red Pill Junkie says the salt thing is very weird, very universal. So, I agree, it is very universal. Oh, that's he wrote, what I was a, he wrote a. Go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, Red Pill. If anybody wants to to look into this, he wrote a great article on Mysterious Universe um, several months back about uh, some other aspects of the whole salt thing that I really recommend. It's great hmm. stuff. He's a great writer, that Red Pill Junkie. He's uh, he's awesome. Now what I was gonna yeah, say, he's an all what, right guy. what I was gonna say is uh, the the the, uh, the thought rolled back into my head here. Uh, it was interesting you mentioned soma in the book, and this is like this. I think it was like an ancient spice or something, or an ancient um, or an ancient plant. But they don't know. That's the point. They don't know, and then that kind of ties in to sort of like a broader point, and that is just um, we have to draw inferences from a lot of this stuff that we're dealing with as far as the fairy lore stuff goes, um, because we're, we're sort of dealing with human accounts of things that they encountered, but from also from a long time ago where we may not even be interpreting it in the right way. Do you know what I mean? I think you just, just in terms of how, uh, it's, it's, it's all, a lot of these descriptions, a lot of the, the, what we have to go on is based off of, um, is based off of the cultural setting. Is that sort of what you're getting at? Yeah, I mean, it's like, is this are these sometimes these fairy stories are they like just metaphors, sort of to to not have kids running around in the woods late at night or something like that? You know what I'm saying? And then that goes to sort of the soma idea, just that like, in essence, as researchers, um, as students of all this here in 2015, we're sort of like fumbling around in the dark when we deal with a lot of this stuff because we don't necessarily know exactly. Um, what 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 they were dealing with, or what they were trying to say, or, or in the case of like soma, what 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 it even was, you know what I mean? No, no, I, I do, I do. You know, it's 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 interesting. A lot of people will say that anthropologists, the traditional explanation for this food taboo, that to take food from the fairies is to remain trapped with them. A lot of them will say that it's a variation on the myth of Persephone, who was tricked by Hades into eating a uh, pomegranate seed as she was being released from the underworld. And she was therefore condemned for the rest of her days to remain in the underworld uh, with the exception of when she could pop up and visit her mom and bring spring to the earth. Um, and uh, the, the, uh, the logic behind that is that uh, if, if mortal food keeps mortals alive then dead food makes you dead, sustains the dead. Um, and so, but the thing is, I don't really see any, I don't see any lesson in a lot of these as parables. Um, just like I don't really see a lot of lessons to be learned from a lot of modern-day abduction reports. I mean, maybe there's a lesson to be learned in terms of uh, in terms of don't 
go driving alone on a dark stretch of road at night or, you know, um, uh, or <laughs> lock your doors. I don't know. Spread salt around your bed. Yeah. Um, but I don't see, but I, but you know, it, it's, yeah, it, we're really, we're really at a loss for a lot of these things. And some was one of those things that, uh, that I feel like that I feel like we could have, we, I'm not even sure that we really, any of the theories that exist out there, because you'll read theories about it being uh, the Amanita muscaria mushroom and a, a drink made from that. I'm not even sure any of those theories work. I mean, who's saying that this maybe isn't something entirely alien in and of itself or entirely spiritual in and of itself? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's like uh, tr- trying to make heads or tails of a lot of this stuff. It's just, it's, it's, it's basically impossible. How did we even lose the knowledge of what Soma is? Like, at uh, what point? Uh, clearly, they knew what it was back when they wrote the Bible. So, sometime between like when they wrote the Bible and when they printed it, <laughs> we we lost track of what it was. That's so weird uh, that that they don't know what it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm not entirely sure why it was it was lost uh, at the time, and which sort of begs the question to me, at least. Um, you know, has it been lost of time? Was it ever actually something uh, physical ever at all? Um, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like it also might be one of those things. I mean, you, you look at a lot of the things that we take for granted that are just in our society. Uh, I, I think that maybe if, if we had uh, a book about, if we had a book seeing the praises of YouTube, I don't know how many, you know, I don't know how many actual descriptions of YouTube there would be. You'd find out things that you could see on YouTube, but right, <laughs> it doesn't right, make any yeah. sense. Like something is something is such a cultural standard that uh, everybody just assumes that it'll be around forever, but where everybody will know about it because everybody in our culture knows about it. So you know, that's all it is. Maybe there's something to do with that, but I don't ever really know if I if I've ever encountered a good reason for why it was lost to time. Hmm. Exactly. That's kind of what I was talking about. Uh, you made a great example of what I was trying to say about as far as like fumbling around in the dark and dealing with these old sources. It's like we don't know what the hell they're talking about with the soma thing, so we don't. We kind of have to guess about it. But that's the challenge of uh, of, of the research, you know. Yeah, I mean, if if you look at the actual um, the actual Hindu uh, phrases regarding soma, I. Part of me thinks that maybe it's even a little bit vague as to whether it was an entheogen like ayahuasca, or as to, or whether or not it was actually some sort of um, a metaphorical substance or some sort. You know, I, I'm not entirely sure that it was a, a that it was a physical beverage. Now, I'm sure that there is someone out there who can. Um, there's there's a Hindu scholar out there who would you know absolutely kick my tail for saying that and saying like, no, look at this and this and this and this and this. Um, I may be speaking out of my depth here, but I think we should be in any, in any of these things. I think we should be completely open to, uh, to any number of alternate suggestions because, you know, if, if we can all just admit that we know nothing, then we might actually find out something and know something at the end of the day. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's a great way of putting it, man. That's, that needs to be the attitude of a lot more folks in this field. Uh, Red Pill Junkie says, regarding Soma, supposedly the elders realized men were starting to use it for corrupted purposes, so they deliberately ensured the recipe was lost. So, See, I told you. I told yeah, you. That's, <laughs> Somebody knows more than me. <laughs> that's what Red Pill Junkie says, so I'll, I'll take his word for it. It makes sense. But it's very, still weird that... Uh, yeah, I'll take it. still weird that... But who knows? Like you said, how, 
in a way, you said, like, I, I don't know if you meant it this way, but when you said, how do we know what's been lost? It's like, we don't not necessarily, we don't necessarily know that it's been lost. You know, you talk about, like, conspiracies and secret societies and stuff like that. They may very well know. That may be some part of some kind of ritual or something they don't let us common folk know about. Yeah, I mean that's that, that's a little bit of what I was what I was alluding to. I mean, it, it seems like it was it was such a central aspect of um, a central aspect of, of of their interaction with the other that to just go ahead and leave it as sort of this gnostic uh, knowledge in the hands of a select few and to actually let it die out seems a little bit suspect to me. I have to think that somewhere out there somebody knows definitely what it was. Yeah. Well, so when you look at a lot of the theories, I mean. Terrence McKenna always said that Amanita Muscaria was pretty highly overrated. I myself have never, I've never tried any psychedelics, and I know there's some people who would probably say, if you're going to write about these things, you should, you know, have some applied knowledge of what it is. But oh, please. you know, there are a couple of reasons that I, well, I mean, there are a couple of reasons that I haven't, and some of them are really square. A, they're illegal. I try to avoid things like that. Um, but B, even though I'm a tuba player, I don't exactly have the best respiratory system on the planet, and I have some other health issues. So I'm, a little bit of me is just squirrely about the whole thing. But uh, you know, I but uh, you know McKenna, who I think Terrence McKenna, I think of the world of in terms of a lot of this, a lot of this thinking. Um, so the, you know, the, for everybody talking about, oh, someone must have been the Amanita muscaria, must have been the Amanita muscaria. Said I've never really had a great experience with it. Nothing even bordering on some of the the praises that you read about in the Rig Veda. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not entirely sure that there's been a great candidate that's been proposed. No, and it's so far into the realm of the esoteric that it's not like uh, it's not like the FDA is trying to figure out what it is or anything like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely, like I said earlier, I definitely kind of came out of the book feeling like the Bigfoot was. Well, you can't discount the idea. You probably thought about this, but you can't really discount the idea that 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 there's sort of two Bigfoot in a way. You know what I mean? There's the Bigfoot that's like an animal that's running around in the woods. And then there, there could be elementals that just take on the form of the Bigfoot because they know about the Bigfoot. We don't know about it enough to, you know what I mean, to, to sort of yeah, I mean, you, Absolutely. I mean, you look at, you know, another person who's had a profound influence on me is Mike Cleland, you know, you know the owl guy. Uh-huh. And uh, he's he's talked a lot about how, you know, uh, a lot of times, sometimes as screen memories or sometimes as literal owls, there's some sort of weird connection between the abduction experience and owls. And he doesn't know if that's, beings actually manifesting themselves as owls or beings, you know, communicating through owls. But there's something to be said that even if you accept the idea that Bigfoot is a biological ape, um, what if it's just another creature of the forest and as such is subject to being used by these other intelligences? So I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, if people say, oh, you saw a, you saw a deer and that was a screen memory of a gray because of the big eyes, or oh, you saw an owl and that was a screen memory of a gray or the gray communicating with you. What if it was like, oh, you saw a Bigfoot, and yes, they're a real Bigfoot, but here's you know a screen memory of, <laughs> of a Bigfoot as well. Hmm. Exactly. If that makes any sort of sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I share a lot of, uh, of, of Nick Redford's thoughts on on. You know, the, just as the ETH is a very tidy explanation for a very untidy phenomena, the biological ape theory for Sasquatch is a very tidy answer for for uh, for a phenomena that has a lot of a lot of loose ends that really demand that they be tied up. Again, I would love for Bigfoot to be a biological ape. That sounds so cool. But uh, looking at it objectively, I, sometimes I kind of have to wonder. So yeah, I don't see like so many things in the, in these fields. 
you know, maybe it's both at once. You know, I'm convinced that if uh, if we ever do get to the bottom of what UFOs are, we very well might find it's a little bit of everything. It's a little bit of structured craft. It's a little bit of the uh, altered state. It's a little bit of time travel, and it's a little bit of interdimensional, you know, mm. things going on as well. You know? Yeah, I think, well, I think, yeah. Well, the interesting thing, too, unless uh, there's always a possibility once we solve one of these things, then the rest all fall like dominoes, too. That's kind of what I'm hoping for. Well, you know, I, I said a funny thing to Micah. We got, back, we got together for lunch this past November, and uh, I, I mentioned to him, and I, I'm not sure if he really, he really agreed with me, but I, I just want to say something controversial, which was, I feel like we have all the puzzle pieces on the table. I feel like somebody has nailed, has said something at some point in the study of this phenomena that is either a huge chunk of the truth or pretty damn close to it. Yeah. Um, I just don't know if we can ever figure out what that is. It's like we're working with, you know, it's, it's people have said, oh, you know, doing the working in the unexplained is like, you know, pouring out a uh, matte gray puzzle onto the table and you're missing half the pieces. No, I don't think we're missing any of the pieces. I think all the pieces are on the table. I just don't know if we're ever going to be able to figure out a way to fit them all together, you know. So that's, that's, that's possible. That's my yeah. that's my personal opinion. I don't necessarily think that. I think um or maybe I, Go ahead. I was going to say maybe I tell myself maybe I just tell myself that at night so I don't stay up awake <laughs> thinking about these things but uh thinking about where the missing puzzle pieces went. Yeah, basically or just, you know. Well, I think that, I think that it's a, we just don't have the I think you're right in a sense, but it's not necessarily that we haven't put the pieces together yet. I think it's that we aren't capable of 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 like of seeing it of 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 putting the pieces together. If that makes any sense. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like the, No, that's that's it's all there, but absolutely we don't really true. know exactly how to put it all together just yet. Yeah, I mean, des- describe, you know, describe trickle-down economics to an ant, you know? Exactly. It's not yeah. going to happen. Yeah. 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 You know, it's too, we just haven't really advanced to the point where uh, we can really grapple with all this. You know, I think uh, Jeff Ritzman made a great point on the show a while back, and it's like, this may all be end up being solved inadvertently by like artificial intelligence or something, where they're like, "Oh, there's a craft outside," you know, and you like you can't see it because you don't have the ability, but the the computer does. And the next thing you know, we might be <laughs> that might be what we need to do it all. You know what I'm saying? We're limited by what, exactly. by what we have to work with, being humans. This this might have been on your this might have been on your show or it might have been somewhere else. I'm sorry, I keep on stepping on top of you. But um, uh, the idea of, of artificial intelligence coming online and saying, who is that? Who else is that in the room with you? <laughs> and you going, there's no one else here. Yeah. It yeah. might've been on your show. It might've been somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. I think that was, what, yeah. yeah, that was what Jeff said on the show. Yeah. So it's like, it's, I think it is kind of, kind of be like that where, uh, yeah, we very well, well may have all the puzzle pieces. There may be something, you know, like this stuff you're doing with the food. I mean, there may be stuff like that, like you're bringing sort of like new, you know, it's like you, it's like you kind of come along here and you've got like a little chunk of the of the of the puzzle kind of put together in a way. You know what I'm saying? It's like we we may right. need to start putting together sort of disparate chunks of the puzzle and and starting to like look at them as uh, as Ripple Junkie says here. We need to rise above the table to see the whole puzzle. It's like maybe the food thing's one thing, and then <laughs> you know the sex thing's another, and then it's like you tie in all these different things, and then you can kind of start to see maybe some kind of something emerge, but. It's uh, 
It's very flummoxing. I do like how you sort of tie it all together, though, in a sense, where you're looking at all these different phenomena. Because I do think that there's, if we sort of leave the ape, ape Bigfoot out of the equation, because that, by all rights, if it is an ape Bigfoot, it's not a part of the paranormal equation. But when you look at sort of like the fairy lore and the abduction thing, there's got to be some kind of, I feel like there just has to be something there, you know? And it's it's a it's a mistake that people make, I think, um, to to go in either direction, to jump in either direction. Do you know what I mean? To say, oh well, the people who are having the abduction experiences there, they're having just what people called fairy experiences back in the day, or or the people who were like, oh, the people who were having fairy experiences, they were being abducted. It's like, ah, we can't really say either way. There just seems to be something between the two. They seem to have some kind of connection. Right. I mean, that, and that's the only thing that I really feel comfortable saying at all is that anyone who denies a connection is, is, is kidding themselves, absolutely kidding themselves. There's a connection there. Whether or not it means it's the same thing or two aspects of the same thing or two different things that share similar motives, or so, I, I, don't, I don't know, but there is a connection there. Same thing with, with altered states of consciousness. Anyone who says that there is no connection between these things just isn't looking at the data. Again, does that mean that aliens are hallucinations or fairies are hallucinations or, or altered states of consciousness tap into something objectively real? I don't, I don't know, but there are connections there, and we need to, we need to really take, take notice of that. Um, you know, and, and again, I, I, I would, I've tried to, be, tried to be so careful in, in writing this book about not letting any of these preconceptions that I have to, to, to filter in. I tried to really approach it from an, as objective a standpoint as I can. So if I sound too uh, too opinionated on this, this is just the way that I feel. But I tried to really say, here are some connections, here are some connections, here are some connections. And then the last chapter of the book, as you know, is, is the only chapter that I've written in first person where the disclaimer right out the gate is, these are my opinions, this is what I've come to after looking at all this. So Right, right. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Well, it's it's uh it's phenomenal. That's really the best way to put it. It's quite the interesting phenomenon. Is there? I mean, what could be done yeah. further? I guess in in the realm of the foodstuffs stuff. You know, it could, it could be just. I guess collect more cases, I guess, right? I mean, I can't think of any... What you really need is like someone to have a, a, a Simonton situation now. You know what I'm saying? Someone who can bring... You know, like that skeptic guy, he's always like, oh, bring me the toilet from a UFO. It's like, well, dude, what if I brought you, uh, you know, a cup of, of alien mead? Would that satisfy you, dude? You know, of course it wouldn't, but you know what I'm saying. Like, what? where, where can we go, I guess, with right. food research? That's a great question. You, had, you really, really nailed me on this one because I'm, I'm not sure I know of anywhere to go in, in some respects. I mean, I think that, um, I think that the community, as it were, of people who have you know 
who are into these things need to make themselves available to people who claim to be abducted. And if they ever claim to, you know, if you can get, if you can get a hold of somebody who says that they were on a spacecraft last night and were given, you know, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we're given uh, a liquid or something, you know, pump their stomach or, <laughs> yeah, exactly, or, yeah. or examine their blood work, examine their blood work right away. Right, because, like, in the book, there's a story of a dude you know, who, uh, I think he was, like, abducted, and he turns up, like, two days later, and then he vomits, like, a whole bunch of black stuff. Uh, and it's like, get that black stuff! Get that stuff! <laughs> exactly. Like, who, who exactly. left... Exactly. You know what? Yeah, who washed that off the lawn? Like, that's the that's the villain of the book. You know, we need we need that stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I think that's... I mean, that, that, that would be one thing to do. Um, I, I, I'm not convinced that just... Again, this is there are plenty of great folks out there who are investigators, and I am not an investigator. I have neither the disposition nor the financial means to actually go out and do some investigation. I'm, I'm purely a researcher in a very armchair sort of way, so kudos to the people who are investigating. But uh, I still think there's a lot more research to be done on this, and there are some, there are some facets that we can look at. You know, I honestly, I didn't expect um, – I didn't expect – this exchange of food to yield as many compelling connections as it did um, and to be as rich an area to sort of investigate. So Mm. part of me wonders, are there other things like this? Are there other things that I brought up in this book that we can dig into? Are there other, are there other tiny, you know, minutia of, of Fortiana that we can really dig into and try to, and try to see if maybe, you know, something about the macro tells us about the micro. Right. Or right. Some, rather, sorry, I had that backwards. Something, something about the micro tells us about yeah, the macro. I knew what you meant. Um, yeah. Well, I'll throw you one your way that you should think about is uh, is I'd like to see – I don't know if anyone's written a book on this or not, but I'd like to see – I talked about it with a guest before in the past. I think it was uh, already Six Killer Clark. I'm not sure, but it was uh, Animal Interaction with These Entities. I think that would be a, a great book, and I think there's probably – tons of cases out there where there's some kind of interaction between yep. an animal and an entity and you know a pet specifically not just like uh or or you know an animal on the farm or something not just like a bigfoot carrying a dead raccoon but you know what i mean i think that would be an interesting <laughs> yeah. area to research that's a great idea nobody take it dibs um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> no there's 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 a, there's actually a good primer. The only thing that I'm aware has been done on that is that there were some old flying saucer review. There's a recurring um, series of maybe three or four articles that talked about the effect of the UFOs on small animals, hmm. um, which was you know a series of sort of bullet points stories. Um, I feel like it was a Jenny Randall's uh, series that she put in there. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean that's that's one of these things. Um, I, I I've found a couple of things that we can that I hope to hope to look at in the future and sort of uh deconstruct and say, Hey look, there's this tiny thing that nobody's talking about and it's in a lot of these things. Yeah. Um again I, I probably am going to continue gravitating toward this uh you know, this uh co- uh this continuum of trying to find out if all three of these things are related because that's sort of where a lot of my interests are. But I feel like when something sort of reveals itself to be more of an outlier, outlier like the Sasquatch does in this book, I'm, I'm, at least I can say, okay, well, that doesn't quite fit as well as I thought it did, but there's some connections, but it's, you know, I'm going to put this over here. Yeah. You know, you know, and, and, and back to your original question, Tim, about 
where to go forward next in terms of trying to parse out the meaning of all this entity food stuff. I'm not even sure if we did get another set of Simonton pancakes. I'm not even sure that they would, you know, turn out to be anything than the Simonton pancake did to begin with. Yeah. You know, I'm not con- I'm not convinced it would be like this strange blue liquid that you drank which turned out to be water, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because yeah. of the way that this phenomena because of the way this phenomena seems to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like the yeah. periodic table theoretically would be like the same for everybody, so it's like you know, a glass of water to them is the same as a glass of water to us, because it's just water H2O no matter where it is. So who knows? You know what I mean? It might be even right. more frustrating where you're like, I've got a bottle of alien water! And they're like, it's water. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, oh, shit. Um, Jim yeah. Bubovich in the in the chat, he asks, uh, we, we kind of skipped over this a little bit, but because um, the book is primarily about people receiving or being offered food from these entities. But I guess talk a little bit about instances where people give food to the entities and how they react. Because we talked about how it seems incongruous that an alien would eat um, human food. Like, theoretically, their digestive system shouldn't even be able to process it. But there are instances where there is a food exchange the uh, the opposite way. So I guess so talk a little bit about that and give me your thoughts on maybe what's going on there. Because that doesn't have all the yeah, ulterior well, motives, you um, know what I mean? Like we we know there's no ulterior motive if a if a if a dude's like here alien have my chocolate bar. He's not it's not part of a larger scheme to abduct and and <laughs> and, and test the alien, unfortunately. Right. Right, no, it's, it's it's almost like just a trying to trying to make peace. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, this is very central, as I mentioned a, lot, a while back about the the fairy lore, um, which is where you see that most of all, and 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 that's the most ritualized fashion that you'll you'll find it in. Um, you know, you were supposed to leave certain certain things out for the fairies, and in the hopes that they would, you know, at at worst, they would just sort of leave you alone, and at best, they would actually do things for you. You know, they'd clean up the house, or I think there was one story about some a fairy in a barn who was taking cheese and was shucking and st- stealing the neighbor's corn and shucking it and, you know, get, making the farmer a pretty penny. Um, a lot of, you don't, because abductions tend to be, um, tend to be, I won't really say spontaneous, but they tend to be in situations where you're less likely to have food, you know, on the road, in your bedroom, whatever. You don't run into a lot of examples where people are giving where people are giving uh, food to an alien. Um, I will say that there was a, a rather entertaining case um, from Brazil. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. He was. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Plinio Brigado. That's his name. Okay. Um, and in 1996, he was he had he had picked up a six pack and was on his way home, and these two creatures landed in this craft and and got out of it and and then they uh they asked him aboard and he said, well, I saw that they were good people, so I just decided to hop <laughs> hop on in. <laughs> and uh, he said they were hideous, but. Uh, so they were hideous, and they examined them, and they gave them a, a fruit that looked like a papaya and something like an empanada and and, uh, and something that tasted like Campari. But he uh, he sh- he shared one of his beers with them, and they seemed to like it. And then they went off to Mars. <laughs> nice. Uh, you know, it's just another one of those bizarre stories. Um, 
Well, that's the great part but, to put yeah, over yeah, the book this, that, uh, moment. Uh, that's the great part of if you like these kind of these kind of really odd stories. The book is like that. The book is all odd stories. You know what I mean? It's like chock full of like the stranger <laughs> stories of this of this genre that you can imagine. So if people who like that kind of stuff will love the book. I flip it. You know, uh, there, there's some there's some great cases that seem very solid that I had to leave out because they just weren't as interesting. You know, so and so ate a bitter liquid, you know, drank a bitter liquid. And there's some cases that I had to include because they were just so funny and off the wall. That it's just like, this is, just, this is, you know, this is, this is very uh, emblematic of what's happening. And it's just too good to pass up. Um, but again, in that case, you know, the motive of, of Brigada was very clear. He's, he's trying to make peace with these folks. He's trying to say, Hey, thanks for giving me your food here. Have a beer. Um, which is what you, you know, run into a lot a lot these days. Um, there was a really great case too uh, from Mufon Journal um, of a lady in Minnesota who uh, who found some uh, some three little men who knocked on her door and they like were as soon as she opens up the door they're like pointing at their mouths and they have these large heads and these eyes and she's like she's inside and she's just giving them like bread and butter and sausage and they're all like yeah that's great and then she gives them coffee and they hate it um <laughs> which is which is a lot like the uh, the Hingley case uh which is one of the more famous um one of the more famous cases of, like that um from England that was in 1979 and uh she waved her husband goodbye and these three um three basically gray aliens with these multicolored wings floated into her house and she was paralyzed and she talked to them about how it's Christmas and they asked for water and the water, instead of them drinking it, the water just disappears. And as they leave, she hands them mince pies, just <laughs> a wonderful thing. But the, the thing that's interesting to me is that you're not, again, for Western culture to have, uh, uh processed and, and commodified food the way it has, you don't find people giving aliens, um, you know, Swedish fish. You don't find them giving them Reese's pieces. Right. Uh, you don't, you know, they they all they all tend to be uh, things that you would have given, you know, fairies back in the day. Huh. They're all very simple foodstuffs, staples, really. Um, and uh, you know, it's 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 one of those things where the, the human motive is 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 always. Uh, seems to be one of hospitality or just, you know, good naturedness. And maybe, maybe we're completely misconstruing all this. And that's all that this is from the alien and fairy side is they're just trying to be nice. And I'm sorry, it traps you in the fairy land, but here's some food. We're just trying to be nice. Um, but I doubt it. <laughs> yeah. It's very, uh, it's very perplexing. So yeah. So we have cases about people giving, I was thinking that after I said that we, maybe we should take on a, a more sinister bent. Maybe we need to just like just trick the alien, you know, give them a little taste of their own medicine, no pun intended, where you're like, here, have this chocolate bar, alien, you know, and then they eat it and they're like, oh yeah. no, dude, you drug me. Or here, have this pill that raises your consciousness and it's just a Percocet. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, here's another no, no, part I, of the. I wanted to ask oh, sure. you this. You said earlier, you, you know, mm-hmm. well, this is a tough question, so it's a bit. I, I apologize, but I feel like it needs to be asked. A lot of the, a lot of the stuff that's in the book, is 
there's a fair amount of stuff that's based on abduction research, and abduction research has really come under fire quite a bit in the last uh, decade or so, especially the last, like, five or six years. And, you know, there's a certain school of thought that's like, listen, we can't trust any of this stuff anymore because the hypnosis is, is uh, you know, spotty at best. And, and, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and so it sort of taints the... It taints the the information. Uh, I guess did you consider that, and how do you really kind of grapple with that that challenge, if you will, uh, of of sort of like looking at information that now we, in retrospect, may have been coming from sort of um, you know less than less than stellar research methods. Let's say that nicely. <laughs> no, no, um, it's it's uh, it's a great question, and uh, it it really does make the entire endeavor really difficult. And, you know, I mentioned earlier questions that keep me up at night. And this is one that plenty of nights I fell asleep thinking, like, you know, oh, am I really doing my best to separate the wheat from the chaff? I made, you know, there are some cases that I ran up against that I absolutely tossed out without even a, you know, a second thought. There were there were some, some really cool things from Phil and Brogno that I found. And I'm like, I can't. I just can't incorporate that. Maybe if I found it in another source, but if it's coming straight from Phil and Brogno with all the stuff that happened with him, exactly, yeah. credentials, I just can't, you know, I can't, I can't address that. So uh, I tried to find people that are still well thought of. Um, having said that, there are some internet cases involved here. Um, and I, <sighs> this, uh, uh, if anyone is uh, familiar with the Colbert show, he used to, he used to use this term truthiness. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, the, the cases that I did include um, in in the book, I tried to pick out things that were ex- that were exemplary of larger trends that I saw. Mm. So um, I, I'm comfortable with saying that there's probably, a, as with any book like this, there's probably a significant portion of this that is um, either hoaxed or mistaken identity, or is um, or a fabrication, or is you know, men, or is some sort of mental delusion. Um, but the trends that I really tended to focus on, the trend of liquid, um, the trend that these are given in encounters of very short duration to seemingly to produce a, an effect, are so strong that I know that if we follow the rule of thumb, that you know, say ten percent of all anomalous encounters are actually factual. I know in my heart um, that, well, it sounds really it's the wrong thing to say. I don't know in my heart. The data seems to suggest that, that, I caught myself there. The data seems to suggest those trends would still hold true. Yeah. If that, if that's sort of a roundabout way of, of answering that question. So I, a lot of the trends that I latched onto from what I could tell, were so strong that that's the case. Um, now I see uh, what you're saying. You're saying kind of like, um, regardless necessarily of the of the of the suspect nature of how the information was gleaned, um, it fits in with the overarching trend. So it's not really necessarily something that should be completely tossed out. You know, like don't toss the baby out with the bathwater kind of idea. Right, and there was um, there was. One of the ways that I, I finally felt comfortable, you know, sitting with that sort of uh, conclusion was um, I happened upon a, a really good um, – it's a French documentary about um, 
anomalous encounters in Iceland called, uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce it. It's in the book. <laughs> it's in the footnotes. Um, but uh, it's a, it's, it's a book. And there was this girl who um, said that she was playing among some rocks and fell down and a fairy lady invited her in and fed her and gave her drinks. And as soon as I heard this, I said to myself, it's going to be a fruit drink and a bread because of what I'd seen in fairy encounters. And sure enough, she says, it was some funny tasting banana juice and a spiral shaped cake. And to me, that was sort of a little confirmation that, okay, what I'm starting to see now when I look at new cases, for me, it's becoming predictive. Um, I can anticipate that an abductee is going to be given a liquid. I can anticipate that, um, you know, or, or, you know, or if they're not given a liquid, they're probably going to be given a pill. If it's contacty experience, they're either going to be given a fruit juice or, you know, some sort of uh, fruit. You know, if it's a fairy, it's going to be alcohol or fruit juice or bread, you know. Um, and to me, you know, sort of looking at some other cases since then, that's what's made me feel really comfortable that some of the conclusions that I've come to are are well-reasoned, at least. Hmm. So, that's but a, that's a great question. I'm glad, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because it, 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 needs, to be, it needs to be asked. Yeah, because, you know, it's... I'm sure this is, like I said earlier, there's a school of uh, thought that that wants to throw it all out, and I'm sure that that you know, that that that's one of the that that would be a critic would say about the book, you know what I'm saying? So it needs to be addressed. So that way, at least you can kind of bat down that argument, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And the, and you know, it's I have a one of my good friends from college is uh, going to get his uh, master's in astronomy, and he's very very uh, he falls into the the atheist skeptic science-minded mode, and uh, he's, you know, uh, we've been going back and forth about this project, and he's been ribbing me some, and I've been ribbing him some, and calling it <laughs> uh, fun. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, and I, I've got to come back to, I remember uh, one of the great things that Mike Clellan says, is he's, he encounters people who say, well, this isn't scientific, and his response is always, well, I'm not a scientist. Um, and uh, in a similar way, I was talking to this friend of mine from college, and and he's like, what? He's like, what? What am I going to get out of this? I think all this is a bunch of crap. And I said, look, at the very least, look at it as modern folklore, right. and look at it as, um, you know, as 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 uh, trying to parse out what the uh, what the similarities are in a lot of these disparate elements. And you know, I, I think if you look at the the trends in aggregate, either there's something objective going on. Or the union un- collective unconscious is much stronger than we ever <laughs> had any idea of, because some of these consistencies are just so striking, you know, to me. Not not necessarily even with the entity food thing, but with with the paranormal in general. You know, you'll have people who have never read a book in their life on alien abduction say that they had this experience and they they never they never believed in it, but there was a buzzing in their ears and they saw this. They were taken to this white room, and there was this entity that got really close to their face and generated love, and they were strapped to a table. You know, um, just some some of these things that aren't as popularized in in pop culture. You know, you see a lot of uh, television shows, and they don't necessarily depict the buzzing in the ears. They don't necessarily depict the you know the leader gray coming up in your face and projecting love, but they'll report these things. Right. And with with a, with a degree of consistency, again, either we are all very much connected in what we know. And there are some serious archetypes that we're projecting, or there's an objective component. Yeah, exactly. Or could even, yeah. I guess I, I'm, I always like to sort of straddle the fence. Anyway, it could be both somehow. You know, it's we don't. 
<laughs> yeah, and, and for, for all my for all my claims of, I feel, I feel like I'm coming off as a little bit sure about things. I have no idea. You know, if if it means if it means us if it means us getting to the bottom of this tomorrow and every single word of this book was proven completely in the wrong direction, I would love it because it means we got to, we got to the bottom of it. You know. I know. Yeah, we could get on with our I, lives. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Instead of this all-consuming mess. <laughs> now, what do you? We're, we're nearing the end. You want to hang out for a little bit longer past the uh, past the past the live show? A couple more minutes. So I'd absolutely love to. All right. Cool. Cool. I always feel bad putting the guests on the spot. I should stop doing that. I feel bad on the. Li- I always do this on the live show where I'm like, "Hey, you want to hang out longer? No one's gonna. No one ever is like, no. <laughs> but I'm, maybe I just should stop doing that. I don't know. But no, that's fine. <laughs> we're we're, we're kind of nearing the end. Have you right now? You're in the you're in the midst of you're in the eye of the of the hurricane of the release of the book. Obviously, so you're you know you're going to be on coast to coast this Sunday, and you're on Banal of America right this moment, and you're doing all kinds of shows and stuff. But have you? I'm sure at some point it sort of crossed your mind what might be next, what what sort of area you might want to look at next, uh, you know, or, or other projects you might want to tackle. Yeah, I'm really doubling down on writing at this point in my life. And uh, anyone who's listening who, who knows me, that'll probably all make more sense in a couple of weeks here, what I mean by that. But uh, I'm really focusing on, on this aspect of my life because it's been it's been neglected. And, and now that I actually somebody actually, <laughs> as Rudolph once said, I'm cute. You know, she thinks I'm cute. <laughs> uh, now that I've actually had somebody, you know, that isn't my mom, Say that uh, say that that they enjoy my writing. I'm actually going to sort of start to look into some other stuff. So um, again, really looking at these these little as- minutia aspects of of the uh, of the paranormal. Or you know, I come from a journalistic background where they're always talking about, well, what's the angle? Well, these other papers are writing the same story. What's this new angle? So I- I'm really hoping to look at you know, hoping to look at uh, the paranormal in a way that we uh, that we can remedy this issue that I think we have. Excuse me. Which is, uh, which is we 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 miss the uh, we miss the trees for the forest to reverse a common, a common phrase. Yeah. Um, we, we're so busy trying to figure out what's the answer that we never say, hey, look, there's this other little small trend. We might not find the answer, but we might get one little piece of a clue that might lead us closer to the answer. So, uh, I'm playing it a little bit close to the vest because I'm not entirely decided. I have like four or five different ideas, but yeah. that's definitely on the horizon. Um, and then just this past weekend, I, I kind of cracked a cool fiction idea that I'd like to get into as well. So we'll see. Nice, nice. Um, yeah. Now, you mentioned so, in the uh, book, um, I forget, it was right sort of sort of the end, and you mentioned sort of um, the idea of of food exchange with ghosts. Has that actually ever been reported, <laughs> and um, do you know anything about that? Because obviously that's not in the book. Uh, that, that I think you mentioned specifically, like, oh, there's other avenues you could explore, like this uh, food exchange with ghosts. Have you heard of that before, or is that something that's completely, uh, you know, really on the fringe? Yeah, it's really it's really hard to find anything um, about, about ghosts and food exchange. Um, the one thing that I was able to sort of pin down was uh, – or one thing that sort of came my way was I was talking to this uh, bartender one time. She was talking about. <laughs> That's where a lot of my best ideas come from as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and uh, she saw me thumbing through uh, one of these giant books that I got from the library. Um, 
and she was asking. We started talking about her book project, and she said, "Oh, she said my 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 uh, my stepfather got a drink from a ghost." It's like, what what are you talking about? And apparently, um, her mother and stepfather were asleep in a hotel that was purportedly haunted. And according to this girl, um, her mother awoke up in the middle of the night, and there was a lady in like in white trying to give her husband some sort of some sort of liquid. She screamed and turned on the light and the woman vanished. Wow. That's that's that and, and again, I haven't looked super hard. Um I don't mean this in a in a flippant way, but ghosts aren't super interesting to me because I've had enough things happen in my life that it's kind of like, yep, well there are ghosts. Can we move on now? Um but uh I, I still think it would be interesting to if, if I can if I could find enough uh, to write about that, I would love to. I just, I just honestly, I did sort of a, a half-assed attempt to, to, to see if there was anything out there, and there's not a whole lot. Now, again, if anybody wants to prove me wrong, please send it my way. Um, and uh, if I can plug my email address, it's food taboo f o o d t a b o o at gmail dot com. That's what I'm using for all my correspondence with these projects. Um, if anybody wants to be kept up to date on what I'm doing next or anybody has any encounters or things that they've heard or, or things that they think I should look into, please send it my way. Mm. I love all the help I can get. So, Foodtaboo at Hotmail.com? Sorry, Gmail. Gmail. Yeah. Gmail, yeah. I'm the one with the ancient Hotmail account, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's interesting, Ghost. This is, I guess beyond the fairies, the Bigfoot, and the aliens, all you have left is ghosts as far as other elemental, t- other entities, if you will. So, yeah. Well, there's some people who would argue the case for vampires and, you know, um, there's a Linda Godfrey, you know, oh, like a werewolf man yeah. stuff. Yeah, but I don't, you know. I feel like all that fits in under the fairy never... elemental sort of realm. Yeah, I mean, I maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know, yeah. At, at, at the very least, I don't think there are any cases of, of a wolf man giving someone, you know, a beer. So. Um, Red Pill Junkie wants to know, and I... I recall this is in the book, Red Pill Junkie, so you should definitely pick up the book, which he probably will, I'm sure. But uh, he wants to know, if you talk with people who've experienced eating food during a lucid dream? I wanted to – I wanted to – I need to – Red Pill, I promise you I'm sending a copy your way because you provided a great polish on this book, so I really do appreciate it. Um, yeah, actually, uh, it's really interesting. His buddies over at Grimerica had a great conversation with uh, Robert Wagoner. Um, who was a lucid dreaming um, researcher. And he was discussing, you know, I think the guys on Grand America claim that they have, they have in some uh, dream states uh, smoked a joint and they've you know woken up feeling kind of buzzy. And Robert Wagoner uh, mentioned a guy in Holland who had uh, decided to become a teetotaler on all recreational substances for about 10 years. And one night he had a very vivid dream and he realized that he was in the dream state and he was on an airplane, and the stewardess comes by with, like, you know, this, uh, you know, tray of, of, of joints for him to smoke. And he's like, well, heck, I'm in a dream. It doesn't matter. And uh, according to this guy, and, of course, this is anecdotal, but according to this guy, he uh, he lit up, and he uh, enjoyed the, 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 the body buzz. And he, according to him, when he woke up, he still felt stoned for a couple of hours. So um, even if that's completely placebo, um, it sort of emphasizes the fact that, uh, substances don't necessarily have to be substances to have the effect of the actual substance. You know. Yeah, the act of consuming the substance might be the key. Like we said earlier, right. uh, it might be part of the show. I definitely feel like there's 
Well, it's interesting. You know, we say, like, there's got to be a connection here between the ETs and the and the fairies. And it's like, but there's the stark difference uh, in that the aliens, when they administer this stuff, most of the time, they're just forcing it onto people. You know, they're just like, right, right, forcing, right, right. in the other instance, it's the fairies. They're kind of like, they they make you, uh, you know, they make, they, they offer it, but they don't make you do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, we were talking about how there are these, you know, maybe maybe aliens and fairies aren't the same thing. Maybe they're just two pieces of a Venn diagram that meet in the middle. And maybe the one one of the things they have in common is that, let's say that there are mystical spiritual fairies and there are flesh and blood aliens, and they both have realized that they can, you know, influence human beings by, you know, being symbolic with food and with gesture. Maybe that's one of the things that connects the two phenomena, you know. I don't know, but uh, but yeah, there's 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 a much greater mystery underneath all this. That's for sure, and it ties into, you know, I, I I've said many times. I think it really, when you get down, when you dig down deep enough, it all really ties into this issue of consciousness. Yeah, yeah. There's something going on here. It's it's remarkable. Uh, the book really sort of like it's it's. I feel like it's like scratching at something that it's very that that. that that's just under the surface. You know what I mean? I feel like it's like no, I, I feel like you kind of picked up on some kind of clue here that we hadn't really considered looking at before, which is awesome. Well, I appreciate it. That means a lot coming from you. You know, I I tried to I tried to write the book as if it, it, this could be someone's first book on the unexplained, or it could be their hundred first book book on their uh, the unexplained. I tried to approach it from a from a straightforward enough trajectory, but in, in the course of writing it. Yeah, there were so many days where I'm like, I feel like if I just got one more book of about shamanism from Interlibrary Loan, I can blow this whole thing apart. I just, <laughs> just <this laughs> achingly, achingly close feeling that like there's something, there's something here. I don't know exactly where it goes, but there's there's something here, damn it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Has anyone ever died for me from one of these food exchanges? Or they all just kind of well, like it, I, it changes their experience. It ends their experience. It kicks off. Their, you know well, what I mean? To me, the answer to that is, is kind of like the answer. Has anybody eaten fairy food and never returned from fairyland? Right, right. You know, <laughs> how do we how do we know? You know, um, I, there was a gentleman in uh, Spain. Uh, he's a oh, – I can't remember. He was a guy who um, – was out hunting as a professor uh and he was uh, with some some students i believe and he was in uh spain yeah like i said and he fell asleep under a tree and awoke and there was this egg-shaped craft and it latched onto him and he passed out and he woke up in a room and this is a very cliff notes version of, <laughs> of this encounter yeah. um and they said that you know we didn't mean to, but we scared you so bad that we actually ended up giving you a heart, uh, a heart murmur, and we uh, we had to take you in to to make sure that you were okay and to repair you. And they gave him a red liquid and some what he described as hot whitish broth and a type of marmalade. And uh, they continued to talk to him, and he like the next day or so he started having some chest pains and was in and out of a hospital for like the remaining four years because uh, he just had some, he had some symptoms. So I guess it's hard to draw a distinct cause and effect picture from that. It could have been, you know, the initial, um, 
the initial problem that they gave him to begin with, or it could have been could have been the food. But that's the only case that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. Where it seems like there might be a direct connection, and of course there might be, you know, there might be there might be a thousand more where people, you know, where people died close afterwards and just didn't live to, to say I shouldn't have had the salmon moose. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 There could be, like you said, about the about being stuck in the fairyland. It's like someone could encounter some kind of entity. They could eat the thing. They could drop dead, like, and they just find him the next morning. No one ever knows that they ate it or whatever. So who knows? You know. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's like the old you know, joke I, about letting the black-eyed kids into the house. It's like we don't know what happens because no one's lived to tell the story of what happens. So, well, it's like all these, um, these, these, uh, the David Politis missing four one one things. For all we know, every single one of them is someone who didn't return from the from the fairy land. Exactly. Um, but there's another. There's an interesting connection there too. Um, Red Pill brought this to my attention: is that a lot of the stories involve you know kids looking for berries. The kids who come back were always looking for berries, or went to go looking for berries, or went to go berry foraging. So there might be a connection there. And uh, I, I was, believe on. Can I ask you that actually? Sorry, I was going to ask you if you looked at the Polidas stuff, because uh, it seems like it's almost it 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 really is eerily similar to kind of like the fairy mythos. Yeah, I mean it's 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 one of the it's it's of the same ilk, I think. Um I uh I again just trying to wrestle my arms around this subject since nobody had written about it before, I tried to focus on the exchange, the actual act of exchange. Hmm. And in a lot of those cases you don't have entities explicitly exchanging food. There might be one or two that I seem to recall where somebody said like a little girl said that a bear gave them some berries or some blackberries or something. But uh but for the most part, entities aren't really prominent in those stories. So that's something I'd like to look into in the future. Um, but as far as connecting with the fairy mythos, I mean, uh, Polinus was on, I think it was maybe Where Did the Road Go or The Unexplained or one of these other podcasts yeah. a while back. And it was talking about, A, how uh, how a lot of disappearances happen around uh, uh, granite fields. Mm-hmm. Ah, ninety seconds. Do we need to do we need to wrap it up and say goodbye to everybody? Or yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we'll 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 leave the to the list to live listeners. It's to okay. be continued uh, in, into the next uh, <laughs> onto the MP3. So you'll have to download that, folks. But I want to give thanks to uh, obviously big thanks to Joshua here for coming on the show, giving us the extra time. The book is a Trojan Feast. You can get it at Anomalous Books. Just punch in anomalousbooks.com and. Uh, Big thanks to all the folks in the chat room. It was a lively chat room tonight. Uh, Jim Lydica, Jim Vujovic, uh, Red Pill Junkie, Flap Doodle, who showed up towards the end, uh, Captain Image, 1966, and, um, and uh, oh, who was the, oh, Stephanie Quick, who uh, wrote in and is a big fan of your work as well. So thanks to all those guys all right. who joined us in the chat room, and, uh, let me think if there's anything else we need to say to the live listeners. Not really. Uh, stay tuned for more with me and Joshua uh, on the MP3. So download that from Banal of America, and hopefully we'll get it to folks uh, tomorrow afternoon. I think I'll probably have a chance to get it posted at BOA. So stick around, and we'll uh, chat a little bit more about this food stuff and talk a little bit more about the esoteric and the mysteries of all this and, uh, you know, why the hell we're still doing it after all these years. So... Stay tuned for that. Thanks for tuning in uh, on the live show, folks. All right. They're all gone. It's just you and me now. Buddy. All right. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know if you want. I no, no, no. It's fine, dude. Sure that we didn't...
right, cool. It's fine. Um, I, I literally play by no rules, it. as you know, so uh, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> no rules and no comparison. Um, there you go. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and and thanks for being such a – well, I'm sorry. I'm fanboying again. I'll, I'll stop. Um, being, so well, now you have to finish at least the sentence, being such a what? I'm so, so afraid what <laughs> – <laughs> for for being such an ass hat, um, no, for being such a, for being for being such a such a great host and for uh, you know asking some really great questions. Um, uh, what were we you were telling about? a story here about. Um, oh yeah, um, uh, the the Paulitas thing, right? Yes, the Paulitas stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he mentioned something that I found fascinating because he's he's somebody who I really respect in the way that he's he's approached this too, where he's uh, he's he's tried to approach it and let the data sort of speak for itself. Mm, yeah. Um, and he, because uh, I, I think he might have even gone in with some preconceptions and uh, and and sort of reevaluated what he thought, um, because he's he's become quite coy about his feelings on the whole phenomenon. But uh, yeah, he won't he mentioned, say anything. Yeah, it's really yeah, yeah, commendable, yeah. but also I mean, I, kind of like <laughs> a little frustrating because you want to. I'm a big fan of just speculating out of my ass all the time, so it's like. Just I, I like speculating, so so it's part of me that's like, yeah, just no, speculate, man, just speculate. You're the one with all the info, but I respect. Yeah, that no, I, I totally, I totally know what you. I totally know what you mean. Like it's it's like meeting someone who is um, it's like meeting someone who is re- really strong about being abstinent. And you're like, but come on, you, I know that you have feelings from time to time. What are you saying? And how do you deal with it? So it's sort of like, come on, give it. Tell me what I know that you have thoughts from time to time like tell me what you <laughs> tell exactly. me what some of your thoughts are right right um but but, but I, I do really respect him for that but he mentioned how um you know there's this trend that he talks about where people disrobe and they are found face down a lot of times mm. and he said that i believe this and forgive me anyone who who, who listened to this and i'm misquoting but i believe that he mentioned that um it was traditional to uh supplicate yourself before the minahuna the uh italian the italian the hawaiian fairies um you would have, if if you encounter them, the best way to avoid um, being hurt was to take your clothes off and bury your face in the sand. Huh. Which is an which is a very compelling little uh, little tidbit. I thought. Yeah, those uh, those stories in the book. There, I I really uh, I think I just read I I've read a couple of the of the four one one books. The the only thing that's like maddening about them is just seems like the. It's a very there's a really small amount of people who who kind of live to tell the tale, and you rarely ever get any really good information. But I think if you really plumb the depths of those of those stories, I think you would find there's a lot of fairy lore that kind of connects with these things. At least that's my oh, yeah. theory. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, no, I, I think so too. And 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 the question isn't you know. For the people who are laughing about fairies, the question isn't whether or not they're objectively fairies. The question is whether or not this is all describing some sort of phenomena that is still in place today in a lot of these wild places, which, uh, again, is, is what has always really uh, interested me in fairies, uh, is this idea that there's there's something just below the surface of reality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I should do a show on just, uh, just fairies purely on their own, but it's like it's such a weird... It's just such a weird, um, I don't know, genre or, or like, like you said earlier, it's like there's so many different things that it encompasses that it's like, what is, what is really going? It reminds me of the Mac Tony stuff, though, in a lot of ways too. It's like maybe there is sort of an, a, a second intelligence 
that exists alongside us that we haven't quite been able to interact with. Maybe they don't even want to interact with us. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, again, I think this comes back to this idea of of uh, <laughs> spokes on a wheel. I think a lot of these have a lot of these ideas and theories have, have their own ring of truth, and Max definitely um, definitely had some 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 true strength to it. Um, the problem with having somebody like I don't even know who you go to for having somebody on about a for a fairy show, you know, because I feel like you'd end up getting somebody who wants to talk about, you know, love and light and mm. some sort of silly stuff. Well, I know um, Anomalous did a but there are some did a compendium of like uh, I'd have to look it up here on their thing Anomalous books, but they did a fairy book, right? But I, yeah, but I think that lady who compiled those passed away. Yeah, I'm not being misspeaking. Yeah, Marjorie, but, John, uh, Marjorie yeah. Johnson. Yeah, but still, I, mean, I think else, uh, I mean, it's still worth looking at. Yeah. Yeah, if nothing else, have Greg on the show. I mean, I know that he's he's uh, found a lot of interesting parallels between between the alien thing and the fairy thing. Uh, that uh, W. Y. Evans Wentz dissertation, Fairy Faith in the Celtic Countries, is just astoundingly good. It's a great thing to read. You got to pick it up. I'll check it out. Have you now beyond the food stuff and and that sort of thing? Is there any other so you know like I like I I'm a big Bigfoot fan, but I'm also really into UFOs at the same time, you know. And also I dig, dig into conspiracy. Obviously, I do all kinds of crap on this show, but it's like I also like true crime and different. So, is there any other sort of area of the paranormal that you're interested in that didn't really, you know, wasn't in the book per se because it had nothing to do with like the food exchange stuff? Absolutely, and and part of it, I mean, I wrote about this because it was what I felt most comfortable writing. I would, I would love to write and tackle some sort of subject on consciousness because I feel like that's at the bedrock of every discussion that we talk talk about in this in this field. Hmm, absolutely, um, yeah. But part of me feels part of me feels so out of my depth uh, with that, and I feel like I would have to spend a lot of time just boning up on it. You know, I, I listen to people like Alex Sakaris and and. The, like what a great job he's done with Skeptico, one of the most fascinating podcasts out there that I listen to. But uh, for me to for me to write about that and to be uh, to have any sort of new ideas, I think would be would be sort of challenging. But I'd love to write about it. Uh, yeah, I'd I love mean, to write about. You talk uh, about the nebulousness of the voice and talk, uh, you know consciousness. That's a super nebulous, and then you get into like deep scientific stuff, so your eyes really gloss over. <laughs> really difficult subject to tackle. Yeah, I mean, and some of these philosophical concepts, too, about, you know, materialism, and, you know, uh, about how that's, that, that whole, how shifting away from that paradigm, it just absolutely, <laughs> I don't know if I'm that articulate. Um, you know, I, I, I found other things interesting, like, uh, I have I have a big soft spot for synchronicities, although I feel like there's a lot of people who've written out written about stuff out there, but uh, about synchronicities. But having had some some striking ones in my past, I have a huge soft spot for synchronicities. Um, and uh, do I dare ask you what know, the striking I, I, synchronicity again, was? I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> the one that I've had that. Um, uh, not to sound too high and mighty about it, but there's one that I've had that really kind of dwarfs almost every other synchronicity that I've ever talked to other people about. Um, because to me, it, it's, it's a true synchronicity in the, in the real union sense where it's, it's deep and it's profound and it's 
way beyond chance and it means something to me in the moment versus like I was driving across town and I saw the same person twice or I was thinking about the person. That's not really a synchronicity. Yeah. This is a confluence of several things coming together. So I was, um, I was, uh, coming back from a gig in Austin, Texas and I was on a, uh, I was on a plane. I was getting ready to take off and I know that it wasn't a dream because I do not, uh, dream, I do not dream. I don't sleep prior to takeoff. I just don't because most of the accidents happen on takeoff and landing, and I'm a paranoid and a hypochondriac, so I just <laughs> I don't it just doesn't happen. So, um, so I was seeing this girl at the time. Um, she was one of these girls who had like two first names as you know her first name and her last name. So let's call her uh, Whitney Cameron. Okay. You know, so that, that could be a first name. Cameron could be a first name. So uh, and saying, she yeah. was getting her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so she was getting her master's in oboe performance. And I was finishing up my master's in music uh, history. And we, it was a really positive relationship, but um, something wasn't really sitting with me just right. I was worried about us not seeing enough of each other. Um, and I was, just, I was just thinking about her a lot. Um, so she um, had actually come to the University of Georgia from uh, a school in Cincinnati, Ohio. So we've got Whitney Cameron, Oboe, and Cincinnati, Ohio. Within the space of 30 seconds, I'm, I'm worried about her. I'm stressed out about her. I'm doing a crossroad on the plane. Within the space of about 30 seconds, I solve the crossword puzzle question for double read instrument, four letters, Oboe. The person in front of me drops their ticket, which lands at my feet. Their final destination was Cincinnati, Ohio. And the gentleman who dropped the ticket turns around to face me in his seat, and he has two tattoos on either forearm that I asked him later were the names of his daughters, Cameron and Whitney. Huh. That's yeah. Weird. All up, in, all up in the space of like 30 seconds. And even though I didn't, you know, even though that relationship ended shortly after that, <laughs> shortly <laughs> after that, um, to me it was like God, the universe, fate coming together and saying, look, just stop worrying, okay? We, you know, we hear that you're worried. It's fine. Stop worrying about this. But, uh, yeah, that confluence of things all at once in that quick, rapid succession just really reeks to me of, of, a, of a pretty startling uh, synchronicity. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. And you think, what do you, I guess, like, what do you make of that? Part of me wonders if it's like something. I wonder sometimes if the, if the, if if we can generate these kind of things like with our mind. You know what I mean? Like I had, I was talking to Marie Jones, Larry Flaxman a long time ago, and it's like, I sort of, I guess someone else has already introduced this idea, but it was my. I, I said to them, we were talking about the nature of the universe and reality and everything, and I was like, what if everything, what if like the the universe and everything just starts when you're born? You know what I mean? And it's like you, it, all of this is just a creation of your own mind, if you will. You know what I mean? So, and you just filled in all that prehistory and everything. So, so like you're on the plane, and then it's on your mind, and it's sort of a glitch in the system where, like, you know, you accidentally throw in Easter eggs of of of, of a sort into the into the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's a bit solipsistic, um, just to think that, you know, this is this is all me, and I, on a fundamental level, I have a little bit of, it, from like a 
it's probably the wrong place to bring this up, but almost like from a moral standpoint, it almost sounds narcissistic. Yeah. If that makes sense. Um, but uh, I think that, I think that there's, you know, I, I think it was maybe even Jung who compared synchronicities to islands jutting above the surface of the ocean, uh, sort of uh, parts where there's underlying bedrock connecting everything, but we just see these little um, pieces that jut above the surface. And if we, returning to this consciousness issue, um, if we really adopt the perspective that consciousness and not matter is the fundamental cons- is the fundamental constant in the universe, then it's entirely possible. You know, I mean, there are people who have made tons of money on saying you can do anything, visualize where you want to be. This is a secret. You know, I I wrote my mom a check for a million dollars and told her to cash it in three years when I was big in Hollywood. And I wonder sometimes if there's actually a real kernel of truth to that. I mean, in in some ways, you know, I, I've experienced this a little bit myself with this book because I I was super apprehensive, but as soon as I said I'm going to write this and I feel like it's going to um, touch on something that people haven't talked about before, it ended up, you know, it, it ended up being a, a real huge blessing in my life. So I, I, I think it's entirely possible that we can, at the very least, influence um, our our reality. Yeah. You know, sort of like a sort of like a more elaborate and more uh, potent version of the observer effect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's entirely possible. It's intriguing. So synchronicity—that's another area you like to uh, explore in the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I would. I don't. Again, I don't know what angle. I don't know what I could bring to the table that some other really great minds haven't already brought. So that would be my only. That'd be my only hesitation. Um, you know, I. Uh, I. I'm still really interested in entheogens and the psychedelic experience and ayahuasca. Um, I think that all those are all pretty, pretty ripe and fertile grounds that people are really just now starting to examine from a non, from, from a non-scientific, not non-scientific, but are trying to sort of take a look at those from a 14 perspective as it were. Uh, so well, it's, it's intriguing. I'm glad you guys. I'm glad you've done this. This, uh, you know, I like people who do new stuff. You know what I mean. So I really appreciate that you did some new stuff. As far well, as the I, and stuff, I appreciate it. You know, if, if I if I if I didn't think I if I didn't have anything new to say, I probably wouldn't say it because it's like, you know, it's, it's like whenever I have been on an album, I'm like, does the world really need another CD? <laughs> Do we really need another album? Because there's so much media out there, and it's like, yeah, it's all sort of, you know, how different is all this stuff really? So, um, if 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 I hadn't seen this this hole in the literature with what I perceived as a giant bullseye on it, I probably would have never even wouldn't be having this conversation with you. So, well, it's good. I appreciate it. It's good stuff, man. The book's great. It's really well written. And uh, when I came into the show tonight, uh, I tried not to, you know, based on my notes and everything, I. You know, it's a, I could have gone two ways, I guess you could say, with the interview. I could have been like, I could have come in with just a set of stories, but I didn't really want to do that. You know what I mean? It's like, because the, the book is, is chock full of great stories. And I could have been like, bang, bang, boom. Okay, tell me the story about, you know, I only asked you like two stories, but 
I, I could have sat here and gone all night just going, tell me the story on, you know, page 92 about the lady in, in uh, you know, in Barcelona that had the experience. So it's uh, right. It's remarkable right. stuff. Well, you know, it's it's one of those things I didn't realize until I was completely done with it and I looked back on it and I said, oh, um, <clears throat> it would appear as though a solid half of the book is just, you know, analysis and that sort of crazy thought experiment that I go off into in the last uh, few chapters. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I, 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 I felt like sometimes I might have rushed through some of the stories, but... You know, just just trying to get to okay. What does it all mean? You know, is there any, any other? Is there possibly some sort of meaning to this? Is what I was was what I was really salivating and wanting to get to. So oh, uh, no, I appreciate I mean, that. that was, nu- go ahead. Go sorry. <laughs> oh, I was going to say I appreciate that nuanced approach instead of you know. Can you tell me about what Sasquatch offer? Can you tell me about what fairies offer? <laughs> right, you know, right. Sort of dry approach. So, and that's you know, it's again fanboying. That's what you do best. It really is. So. Well, I hope people enjoyed the conversation because I felt like I kind of bounced around a little too much, but uh, but because I, like I didn't really well, and I, and continue I, down, but but I I felt like this is such a nebulous topic that it's more it's more interesting just to kind of have a natural flowy conversation with with some tent poles, but otherwise uh, you know not hit you with like like I said, tell me the Barcelona story or all that other stuff. Yeah, well, I found out a long time ago when people asked me <clears throat> what my book was about. I found out a long time ago that there is no elevator pitch for this book. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's to understand the significance to, to to understand the significance of why this topic was approached in the first place. That whole food taboo about being trapped in the fairies that takes a minute to explain to someone, and then you can get into depth on why you're you know trying to look at these other the other two subjects as well. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a challenging uh, it's a challenging subject to tackle. I I really like I said, kudos to you for doing it because uh, it's always been there too on the periphery, but no one's really sort of dug into it. And I think you know we we danced again around the uh, sort of conclusions of the book, and I, folks should definitely go and pick this up. It's uh, for any serious student of the of the field, um, it's just worthy of their library because it's the kind of book that you can go back to again and again, where you're like, wait a minute, what's the you know, it's a, it makes a good reference book for for this enigma of, of food exchanges. Um, yeah, those kind words. Yes, really feel do. free to use all these wherever you. <laughs> <laughs> I use I use all the words. <laughs> use all of the words, but yeah, it's it, it's it's really interesting. And like I said, we dance around the ending kind of, but at the same time, it's like I think people can kind of, especially my listeners, I hope, can kind of like read between the lines here that we're saying, like uh, you're saying that. This isn't just a straight-up food exchange. There's something going on here, uh, symbolically, uh, psychologically. Um, we don't really know exactly, but there's clearly it goes beyond. Hey, I took you into the fairy realm. You look hungry. Have a have a uh, have a fruit. You know, it's like <laughs> right, right, right. A Trojan feast. A Say Trojan a feast. Trojan feast. Yeah. 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 That was that was it's, a great call on Patrick's part. Yeah. <laughs> That's why he's. That's why he gets the big bucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, let me see if there's anything else to really ask you about. I, I purposely avoided the Roswell slides thing because that's hopefully that's old news by now. So. Oh Lord, yeah, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with that. <laughs> yeah. 
There's nothing yeah. really else going on in the field of uh Well, see, this is what I like too about what you did cuz there's so much there's nothing you know, they say there's like nothing new under the sun or something, you know, but it's like in in ufology that's especially the case. It's like there I haven't seen anything new come up that's really excited me. Um, with the exception of like stuff like that you're doing, stuff that Albert Rosales does, you know, stuff where it's like, okay, let's take, let's circle back and take another look at what we've got so far, and try and pick up something out of it that we can work with, which I think is a really right. good I mean, approach. let's 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 reexamine all that goofy shit. You know, I mean, some of that Greg always brings up on on whenever he mentions Albert Rosales on on Radio Mysterioso, he always says. The banana-shaped aliens covered in terry cloth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, I think that I, I, it's, it's that old adage of the weirder it sounds, the more, more likely I am to believe it, you know. What if, you know, operate, operate, operate from the, the point that maybe, maybe all of this is told in an honest fashion and then try to sift and winnow and see what sort of, what sort of uh, nuggets you're left with when all the sand's clear of the uh, <clears throat> clear of the I'm mixing too many metaphors here <laughs> when, when, when when the dust is set when the dust is settled see what's left <clears throat> so uh, right because you know I, I yeah contemporary ufology we're and, kind you know, of grasping at straws here looking for something we can't you know I think we've we've sort of run past the treadmill of what we can do or something you know we've run out of we've we run out of space or something that makes any sense. Now I'm mixing metaphors. Right. You know, I, I, I know, I know that, I know that you, um, again, you and Greg have mentioned, I think in your appearance about like the impending death of ufology and, uh, or how it should just, you know, die and rise like a phoenix from the ashes. And I feel like I'm late to the party going, no, no, wait, 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 there are other things. There are other things that, that should be said and seen, you know, um, and hopefully a couple of my other ideas are sort of looking at it from that perspective. Um, you know, just just things that we don't think maybe would have had any relevance. Like, what if there, what if there is some sort of link? Here's here's a book idea, and I swear, I swear, if anybody steals it, I'm gonna come find you. <clears throat> um, what if there is some significance to the types? of entities that have purportedly been been encountered in war zones. Um, in war zones, okay. Yeah. There are, in war zones, yeah, yeah. It, on, on, on surface level, I mean, I can't say, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. On surface level, there isn't. But until we actually say, well, let's take a look at this and see if there are any similarities between these things. You know, I'm thinking about the, the story of the Vietnam rock apes and, uh, you know. Uh, the woman who saved the guys from the flamethrower that's in your book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Poison gas. That was a poison exactly. gas, not a flamethrower. But yeah, there's a lady. There's a yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. entity I mean, yeah. saved. Some entity like emerged out of a, out of a cloud of poison gas and gave a drink to a bunch of dudes and uh, soldiers, and they were like the only ones who survived the poison gas, and they, no one ever found the lady again or, or the soldier or whatever. Uh, I'm butchering the story, but um, I did read the. You <laughs> know, I did close. read the book. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I know you're. I know you're. You either read the book or you're the world's best bullshitter. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, again, I don't know if there's any connection there, any significance in what people are seeing or how the encounters play out. But let's just take a look at it, you know. Let's start throwing two things together and seeing if there's something of greater um, significance that emerges from, from juxtaposing those two things. Absolutely, so, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, 
I think that's going to be my approach then saying, hey, nobody's ever talked about this. Let's, can we talk about this? So, Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I can't speak for Greg, but it's like we're not necessarily calling for the death of ufology, just the, just the death of the way things are done, you know? It's like we, we right, can't right, right. really he, 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 keep doing it this way. Yeah, and he and I had a brief email exchange about this, and, um, uh, about how, yeah, that's not exactly what he's getting at. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that there's... I think that there's still some stuff to talk about here, but we need to completely, you know, we need we need the Etch-A-Sketch solution to the whole thing and just shake it up and start from scratch. Yeah, and the problem is that, like, everything rests on this really rickety foundation of the ETH, where it's, it's like we need to start building a new place. We need to be like, we can't just build yeah, out I mean, I'm the foundation not... here of this bad, bad hypothesis. I hope I didn't come off as too staunchly anti-ETH, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, it really it doesn't make any any sense to me. No, no, I didn't get there's, any there's, sense there's, that you there's were a there's a lot of, there's anti-ETH. There's a lot of holes there, you know? Yeah. No, there's a ton I mean, of holes. I, I, there's I, a ton that's of good to know. Yeah. Just like, again, I would love for Sasquatch to be flesh and blood, but there's a lot of holes in that, too. So. Right, right. Uh-oh. Yeah. Did you just break a dish? <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. That was the dishes were just settling. Um, I was I was in here in the kitchen pacing. Uh-uh. Um, but uh, no, it's not it's not your fault. And sorry about the, the ice. I didn't mean for that to be as loud as it was. <laughs> no, 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 don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I kind of I I somewhere along the way I changed my policy from like just ignore it and pretend like it's not in the background. This is not with you. I just mean with the show in general. Like over the right, years, right, right. Mm-hmm. like when I first started out, I'd be like, "Oh shit, what's that sound?" You know, and not say anything. But then I came to the conclusion or the realization that it's like I'm noticing it. The listeners are noticing it. Let's just acknowledge it, and that way, at least, it, you know what I mean. That because if I was a listener and I heard yeah, yeah, like, yeah. blinking and everything, that that would distract me enough where I'd be like, "What's he doing?" You know. So I feel like people like that. No, no, no. I- I totally get it. Um, there's it's the term in the screenwriting with for that. You know, whenever there's a plot point and they directly address it and say, "Oh, that's funny. We should have thought of that." It's called lampshading. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're lampshading the podcast. Now, do you do any writing? Like <laughs> you're 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 launching this. You said uh, you're going to launch a website soon or a blog or something. Uh, sort of a hub. Because I asked you when we started the show, you don't have a hub yet uh, to direct people to, except for anomalous books. So, well, when you do launch your hub, um, will you be? Are you going to be like doing some writing and stuff there too? I presume so. Yeah, I mean that's that's the plan. I, I hope to have literally hope to have something up in the next 24 hours. Because um, I really do need to start directing people in that, pushing people in that direction. You know, this is the only. Um, there hasn't really been a need for it until now. This is the only thing that I've I've done independently that hasn't been, you know, um, you know. Usually I'm in a band, or there's, you know, it's work it's work related, and work handles their own <clears throat> their own press for stuff like that. So there hasn't really been a need for me to have, uh, you know, a self serving website yet. So uh, I, I plan on having a, sort of it being a one stop shop. So it'll have some uh, samples of my music. Uh, it'll have um, my discography up there. It'll have uh, bios, um, uh, you know, uh, links to the interviews like this. And it'll also, yeah, I also plan on keeping a daily or or every other day blog entry. It's about something, um, you know, something in the news or 
something I noticed, you know, nothing, nothing too lengthy, you know, 350, 400 words. I was going to say daily. Why would you commit to that? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I can't even commit to a weekly show. I told you. I told you, man. I'm I'm doubling down on this. I've got my my wife is uh, has been very supportive of this uh, this entire uh, this entire approach. Because you know, once you, man, once you write a book like this, it's the die is cast. Yeah. You know? Um, it's 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 so and um, she hasn't batted in an eye really. She's just been really proud of me. Um, and my you know my family has too. Um, but yeah, once you once you write a book like this, it it gets pretty easy to separate the people who don't like this stuff from the people who think it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know <laughs> yeah. what you mean. Yeah. yeah. I've long since given up telling people like exactly what I do. Cause, uh, it's just annoying. I don't really want to get into it too much. You know what I mean? It's like, you just don't know what, how you're going to get it, what kind of reaction you're going to get. And it's like negative reaction. That goes without saying, you don't want to deal with people that are like, that's all stupid. You know, forget those people. Those are like, right. Right. Yeah. And then it's like the people that, I mean, I don't know you. I don't know how long you've been like really kind of digging into all this, but I've been digging into it for like almost twelve years now, and it's like to me, it's it's like I don't want to hear another UFO story, at least from like a person I run into or somebody I went to high school with. That you know what I mean? It's like, oh god, really? It's like yeah, it's cool yeah. that that happened to you, but I've heard a thousand of stories that are more crazier than what you think is the craziest <laughs> thing that happened. To you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's there's this you know it's. it's it's sort of the way I've always felt about me and my religious life is that I, I'm, I'm too religious for the atheists and too free thinking for a lot of the zealots. You know, it's, <laughs> I sort of feel like that's the way that I am with this. Yeah. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've been looking into this stuff for a long time. I had, I had books like Jerome Clark's Unexplained in middle school, and uh, you know, I've, uh, I've been, I've been into this for a while. I haven't really, de- honestly, honestly, Tim, uh, one of my biggest fears all the way, literally up until like three, four years ago, even though in my rational mind uh, I knew that it was highly unlikely, nay, um, impossible, was alien abduction. Like, I couldn't even look at a picture of a gray without freaking out. Oh, God, really? And, uh, yeah, and I'm, sh- I'm, sure, I'm sure Stephen Greer or, or, uh, or Bassett are, are sitting in the, in the, waiting in the wings listening to this thing. It means you're an abductee. But, I was just uh, going to say, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, people would jump to that conclusion, like, immediately. Um, but who knows? It is scary. I, I mean, the thing is freaky. But that, it, to go to, against that idea, it's like I don't like ventriloquists dummies, but I was not like molested by a ventriloquist or anything. So. <laughs> right. No, I, I honestly tie it to my my dad. I love him to death. He's a great man. But uh, he showed me Close Encounters of the Third Kind when I was way too young. <laughs> and there, and there are some like everybody always thinks of the warm fuzzies at the end, but there are some legitimately horrifying moments with the young boy in the farmhouse. Yeah, uh, you know, with the with the grate, the screws on the grate, you know, unscrewing themselves and the light coming through the chimney. I mean, I'm getting the willies thinking about it right now, and my wife's in the other room. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so in a lot of ways, like, so I started listening to some of this stuff uh, really, really in depth uh, about three years ago, and just really immersed myself. And it was sort of like uh, exposure therapy. So I'm, it's it's that's no longer a fear for me anymore, mainly because I've. I wrapped my head around the complexities of this, and I feel like I feel like I could call the grays out on their bullshit if they started it on me. And be like, no, you're not going to do this, and I'm not drinking that, yeah. so just put it away. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but um, so yeah, and and you know, I 
uh, it's it's been an interesting trip, but so far everybody that I've met and interacted with, and I'm, I know that there are people in every field who aren't this way, but everyone that I've talked with so far has been incredibly uh, kind and incredibly uh, supportive and enthusiastic, and uh, they've just been really really nice folks. So, well, you know, I it just from my perspective and the folks that I kind of the circles I'm I run in, it's like we're we're always happy to have real thoughtful people doing thoughtful work. That's all we're asking for. You know what I mean? It's, right, right. Mm-hmm. That's preferable over sort of the showmanship and everything. So that's uh Yeah. That's really what drives me crazy. Uh um, yeah, I mean it's Yep. Yeah, okay. yeah no, I was just gonna say my you know, and the the flip side of course is there are plenty of uh there are plenty of things that I hear in this field that to use a, a Mike Cleland term make my toes curl. In my shoes, but uh, <laughs> how so that you just but, find uh, it so crazy that oh, you're just, like, oh, throw up your hands, like, just, oh, why am I bothering with well, these? You know, well, well the, the example that Mike always uses is like, look at this picture. There's a there's a cloud above me, and in that cloud, there's a mothership. And it's like, uh-huh. you know, yeah, uh, just 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 completely, you know, just just leaps of logic, and you know, uh, just, to, just to something that's so outlandish. It's like I. I gotta maybe maybe going through what you've gone through that makes sense, but to someone on the outside that does not sound like it makes any sort of logical sense. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, it's difficult. I kind of railed on the on the uh, on the quote unquote consumers uh, of all this uh, a few a few shows ago, but it is you know it's. It's a difficult road to hoe if you're folks like me and you and Greg. It's like we we as Greg. And you know, you know, the excluded middle. It's like we're the sort of people who aren't out there trying to uh, to 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 say that there's a mothership inside the cloud. So it's like you're already you're already losing <laughs> exactly the, the, the cloud mothership audience who are like, why aren't you saying that this is part of some grand agenda to, you know, I don't know, stop eating cows or whatever. It's like they just they just have to attach everything to their to their pet theory or, or their their worldview, and it's like, oh, dude, no, just just come at this with an open mind. It's yeah, crazy. I mean, yeah. Sometimes the cigar is just a cigar. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I've kept you for an extra half hour. I feel bad. I should let you get going. Oh, we could talk for. No, that's fine. So, um, <laughs> like I said, this is this is the focal point of my day. So <laughs> I made it this far. Yeah. Is there anything you want, else you want to talk about? Anybody ask me? Because uh, you said you're listening to the show, so I always kind of like to throw that out at people uh, who do listen to the show in case you were wondering anything like, why do I do this? Or <laughs> uh, Actually, one thing that I did want to say and just wanted to commend you on, again, I'm just being such a kiss-ass. Um, uh, that last interview uh, with the Jonestown lady was just that was phenomenal, man. That's like, uh, in my mind, that was... Uh, and the way that you approached it and, and your rapport with her, that was uh that was Peabody type stuff, you know. <clears throat> that was really good. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of great feedback on it. It was uh it was an amazing show. I'll be honest, I I think like I, I, st- I still think about that episode, you know what I mean? It's been like a week or so and I read the book like over the course of a week before that, so it's like I, I, I every every now and then it'll still cross my mind. Parts stuff I stuff I want to still ask her, stuff like that just just how amazing that whole story was. What a triumph of the human spirit. Just amazing. So All right. I mean it's yeah, it was it was I mean I, I I love 
I love the uh, the esoterica, and I was sort of like, ah, oh, this is going to be serious, it's going to be heavy, but it was just, it was, it was thoughtful and sensitive, and it was, it was just great. It's just great. Turns out she lives like 15 minutes from me too. I found that out. From you? Yeah, yeah. She lived. That's weird because uh, for a while she lived like 15 minutes from me. <laughs> no shit. Yeah, she lives. Yeah, um, for real. Yeah, she lives uh, in the same county as me, actually. So that's amazing. Yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. I was. Yeah, you know, it's funny because you 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 kind of hit the nail on the head of what I was concerned about going into the show. I'll break the fourth wall a little bit here, and uh, we're, we're obviously we're still on the air right now, but not live. But uh, right. I, I don't mind if people hear this because it's it's cool uh, to think about or talk about. It. It's like, but I I kind of thought the same thing going in, where it was like. This is a really delicate story, and I have to really handle this like with kid gloves. And I kind of opened the interview talking about that in a way, but um, but Leslie was so down to earth and and like easygoing that it really like sort of took a lot of the air out of the out of the the, the, the tension. You know what I mean? And it really helped the yeah, conversation no, exactly a lot. I, mean. I was I was really happy about that because, like I said, I was going into it like this is like the worst thing that ever happened to this person, and I'm gonna now. <laughs> make her relive it and ask her questions about it. But she was so cool about everything that it, it really like let me take my guard down and really kind of dig into it. So I think she'll be back on the show in the future to sort of get more into all this stuff. Cause just, just telling the story alone took two hours. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, it's one. Well, yeah. It was, uh, well, yeah, already said what I'm, what I can say about it. It was just, it was really, really powerful. So, yeah. Kudos Thank to you, you on that. I mean, you know, if, if I don't, I don't, I do not think it would be unwelcome if stuff like that was worked in every couple of weeks. So. Yeah. Well, as time's gone by with the show, it's like there's no, there's only so many times you can kind of go over the same thing. You know what I mean? So that's why as soon as I got your book, I was like, oh man, get this, get this guy on the show. This is so <laughs> different that I really want to talk about it. Well, I, you know. Well, I really appreciate it, Tim. Thanks, thanks so much for having me on, and uh, you've been you've been a great host. No, I appreciate that, man. I really do. Uh, hopefully, I held up my end here. It was uh, luckily the pain's all gone away from the uh, from the molar being pulled, so we're in good shape. I was about to say, and 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 feel better, get better soon. That sucks. Ah, I'll be fine in a day or two. It'll be it'll be good. The problem is, I gotta watch all my, right. I gotta regulate my cigarette smoking because it's like you can't be doing that kind of shit when you gotta. When you got a, a, an open wound, <laughs> so yeah, I, I got to yeah. be careful yeah, with that. Yeah, it's a good but, point. Yeah, but we'll we'll hopefully I will survive and we'll all be we'll all be good. And good luck on Sunday on Coast to Coast. I'll be actually I'll be working the website that that night, so I'll be I'll be listening. Oh, great! Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I, I think appreciate it'll be it. a great show. Uh, of course, the book Looking is forward to it. a Trojan Feast. And you can get that at anomalistbooks.com, also Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the all the booksellers, uh, folks. Seriously, this is a fantastic book. Uh, now is the time to really pick up a book like this too. This is, you know, I read it out on my deck in the sun, enjoying the weather. This is a great beach book because you're going to really dig into it and just dive in and really get sort of invested in this story and 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 learning more about these weird. Uh, happenings with these food exchanges so go out and pick up a trojan feast it is outstanding and as i said it really is it's really one of a kind or the first of its kind really looking at this phenomenon so it's an absolute must for any student of esoterica to have in their book collection so a trojan feast 
Joshua Cutchin. Thank you so much for coming on the show, dude. If there's anything I can ever do to help you out, please do not hesitate to ask. Uh, reach out, and I'd be happy to uh, lend a hand, my friend. Same stands for you. Thanks so much, Tim. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. You can have a good night. I'm going to do my plugs now, and then I will be calling it a night. So thank you again, and uh, All right. we'll be in touch. Thanks again, Tim. I really appreciate it. You have a great night, man. You too. Good night. Take care. All right, folks. There you go. That was Joshua Cutchin. He is the author, of course, of A Trojan Feast. And once again, you can find out more about that and how to pick it up at anomalistbooks.com. I wasn't just saying all that nice stuff because Joshua was on the show, folks. Uh, Believe me, this is a really fantastic book and enlightening stuff. Uh, really unique stuff. As I, I mean, I really put Joshua over here on the show big time because uh, I really do appreciate people that dig into the uh, the peripheral aspect of all this. And finally, somebody looked at the food exchange material and uh, produced a book, and that was Joshua Cutchin, and the book is fantastic. So go out and pick up A Trojan Feast. If you're just listening to this program for the first time, you have no idea who we are or uh, what we are. We are Banal of America. We're currently in our ninth season of the program, so we have a massive archive that you can dig into at BOA, and that is absolutely free. Where can you go to find all this good stuff? That's simple, banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L, ofamerica.com. We're also on Facebook, so just punch in Banal of America on Facebook. That'll bring up the page. Feel free to like us there. That's where we post the latest news on who's going to be appearing on the show next, as well as some throwback stuff when uh, topics previously discussed on the program pop up in the news. I'd like to throw up a little uh, linkage to previous editions of the program so folks can get further educated on what's making news. As I said, we've got a massive archive at Banal of America, 200-plus episodes there covering just about every paranormal topic you can think of. And it is absolutely free. And, of course, tonight's program was coming at you live. And that was also absolutely free. It's not free like, you know, like a Metro paper you find in the subway, folks. It's free because I have to pay for it all in order for all of you to get it. So I turn to all of you now to ask to help us out, make a donation, make sure uh, we can pay the bills here to keep everything up and running. There are two ways to do so. You can head on over to Banal of America and click the PayPal button. That'll take you to PayPal. They'll walk you through the process. It's safe, secure, and simple. But if you don't trust the Internet and you want to make a snail mail donation, you can do so by heading on over to Banal of America and getting the P.O. Box address. It's right there next to the PayPal button. On the next edition of the program... I cannot tell you who will be on the next edition of the program because I do not know just yet who it will be, but i got a couple of folks lined up. It's either going to be a taped show or a live show, obviously, and I should know something about that by the end of the weekend. So stay tuned to Banal of America and BOA on Facebook for more information on that. Hopefully it will be a killer guest. We've got a whole bunch of folks lined up for future installments of the program It's all, especially when you're working in this live format, a matter of uh, plugging folks into the right days and the right weeks. But we've got some really cool discussions lined up for future installments of the program. Well, we're nearly gone uh, two hours and 45 minutes here, so it's probably best that I wrap up the program right here and now. So, with all that said, 
I want to thank Joshua Cutchin once again for appearing on the program. Fantastic conversation, fantastic material uncovered there by Joshua. Folks, go out and get a Trojan feast. Thank you to all the newcomers who've just discovered the program recently. Thank you to the hardcore BOA Audio listeners who've been around from the very beginning or nearly the very beginning. You guys are the absolute best. Thank you for your enduring support of the program. And, of course, thank you once again for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Benall. Thank you for listening and signing off.